did you uh, did you get those photos? I did. I looked at them, but I now I went to look at them again, and I don't remember where you sent it to me. Hmm. It should be on the Dropbox. I sent you um, <clears throat> some photos from my military school yearbook. Oh, it's in AFA. Yeah, a- AFA we called it. Admiral Farragut Academy. Man, you know, snapshots from the 70s and 80s do not age well. No, I scanned a bunch of them recently, too. So who is this in you in the spelling bee picture with you in the spelling bee Oh, that's picture? my mom and me. It was at the, uh, came thir- I think it was 13th in the Suncoast Spelling Bee, 1980. See, see a little bit of the man cheeks in there. <laughs> a little bit. She looks more like a, like the, I don't know, like a Pontiac Indian kind of character. She has, she has a different, uh, I, yeah, yeah, I kind of look like a little bit like both my parents. My my kid looks a lot like my mom. It's you freaky. look like you look like Howdy Doody is what you look like. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do. You like those? Uh, you like that uniform? Richie Cunningham. Yeah. <laughs> so handsome. Hey, why do you always say that? That's not true. I was because you have you have uh, a very handsome face. I look deeply white. I look super yes, duper white. Yes, you do. Yeah. Um, what did I? Say? I'm trying to remember what I sent you. I sent you the picture of me and my mom at the spelling bee. I think I sent you. <laughs> a kind of crime scene looking picture of what my room looked like. You can see my bunk. Yeah, it's not so, you got a TV right next to it. Yeah, a little tray a, table. It was a style at the time, yeah. But you can see the way the bed's made flawlessly, and then you put your, uh, you call it your cover, you put your cap on the bed. And you do that. That's not a special day, by the way. That's literally how my room looked at 7.30 every morning. So you were on the top? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you got to work your way up. Um so, I, I might have I think I might have been a top at that point. And huh. why is your head facing the opposite direction of the boy on the bottom? Well, it's a boys' school. You gotta, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Head to toe. All right, all right. You know, I you know what I don't even remember if that was a I don't remember if head to toe bunking was a requirement or whether it's just something everybody did. But pretty much everybody did it. It's weird. Yeah, really weird. And then but, you get a picture of the desk with the gigantic transistor radio. That's a really cool world band radio. I um inherited from the family but the thing to know about that place is um it was built in the i think the early part of the 20th 20th century as a fancy hotel so basically emerald farragut turned this old dilapidated hotel into a slightly less dilapidated (laughs) military school i like the exposed steam radiators there Mm. is a steam right now that's uh, it's a radiator i mean that's the real deal no no air conditioning no air conditioning you can have a fan in your window but that was it. Anyway, I just want to make sure you got those because that, that's some pretty special documents. I think I sent you a picture of me trying to make time with a statue at Bush Gardens. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you got the uh, your little cadet picture here, cadet man. Look at that gap, huh? I think that's like a, is that your fake smile? Looks like your fake smile. Oh, it's the only, <laughs> that was a child. It's the only smile I knew. No, some kids have real smiles. Yeah. My daughter has this one really silly, like, grin she turns I, I think she thinks this is like a fashion thing she does a tight-lipped grin and then turns her head at like a 12 degree angle and like every school photo it looks exactly the same consistency at least we've yeah. had our children have had multiple times i believe had to have the school photos taken over again <laughs> because they were a, a not of acceptable quality of expression oh what what would they do they just weren't smiling they looked weird yeah you don't want to hear that. Yeah, well, that's what it comes down to. And the diplomacy club. You see, here, look at the diplomacy club mm-hmm. and look at the other picture people in this picture, right? And then compare your face to everybody else's. 
Especially that poor kid with the big ears in the back. That's, Ma- that's uh, Maggio, Dean Maggio. We, um, I don't even have to look at it. I know it's, and, and uh, you can tell Glenn Luker. He's the really serious looking guy. Looks kind of like a hawk. In the front? I think so. He, he, he looks like he's at the Yalta conference or something. My, um, I've been trying to do one tiny thing to get my history, well, our family's history better maintained, which is like I, I, every time I find a yearbook or a photo album in a different place, I try to kind of remember to put it back in the same place, you know, for the for the nominal like fire problem where you'd run out and take all your stuff. I don't know if that'll happen, but so unfortunately now, my and I was scanning these photos, uh, and so my daughter saw and has multiple times examined that particular yearbook. And I don't know if you did this, but did you annotate your yearbook? Like after the fact, like after. Sometime in the future when I'm an adult or back when I was a kid? <laughs> I mean, go back now, you know, with the fullness of time. <laughs> really analyze. Mm, Jennifer, she seemed kind of stuck up. No, I would do things like, I would always do stuff like circle my friends or cross people out that you don't like. But I had a lot of extremely pointed remarks that I wrote in my yearbook at <laughs> the time that now my daughter has seen and I feel so bad. Because I have to explain, you know, why I was such a horrible person. Yeah, I don't think I did that. I don't think I touched my own yearbook. You like to keep it that, nice. That's kind of like wearing your own T-shirt in the modern in the modern day parlance. <laughs> that guy. Well, you know, a lot of it. You know, in my in to my credit, a lot of them are. It'll be a call out, as we call it. It'll just say "good guy," and so she'll go through and she'll go "good guy, good guy, good guy," and that was my way of saying I like this person. You know, they're nice. <laughs> you were just dr- dr- lumping them into good guys and bad guys, like in comic books. Well, yeah. I mean, I was twelve. You know, thirteen. But you know, I, but then there were some. Where, you know how it is, you probably know how this is, where like you get a rep for a certain thing. It's sort of like Snot Boogie. Did you ever see The Wire? Mm-hmm. You know, Snot Boogie. One day he doesn't wear a jacket to school, he has a runny nose, and he's Snot Boogie for the rest of his life. Yep. Like there were kids there that whether or not what supposedly happened with them was true, that was who they were from then on. So there's call outs like uh, scrounge, craps in pants. <laughs> Um, my daughter's personal favorite, she's taken a flexible drinking straw and marked this page because when her friends come over, she likes to show them this one. Um, it's a call out and then the word ass and then a donut next to that. And she explains <laughs> to them what that means. And then I'm, I'm, you know, and of course, I'm, I mean, on the one hand, I don't want to say I want to be I want to be square with her and go like, well, you know, I was a little kid. I was I was kind of a tool and I, and I wasn't. But, but, you know, I wasn't writing that stuff because I felt empowered. I was writing that stuff because I felt threatened. Still, you shouldn't call somebody and ask don't I? That's not nice. So does she ever ask you, Daddy, why are you even showing me this book? Well, she was naturally, actually one of the few things in my life that she's actually curious about. <laughs> so that uh, uh, last night my Comcast went out and she told me to call you. Yeah, that that might have worked. I said, she said, I said, I'm sorry, honey. You know, I, I was texting my wife and saying, I, I, I don't know if it's out at home. She, and I, I forgot we had had a different DNS thing at home. And it was, she's like, no, everything's fine. And then uh, she said, you know, Ellie's in the bath. She says, uh, tell John. I said, uh, Uncle John Roderick or Uncle John Syracuse? She's like, John, John Syracuse. Yeah, I would have maybe got you to the uh, alternate DNS server solution slightly faster, but that's about it. Well, that's a different conversation. But, you know, I can't be blamed. I, I mean, I, I just assume it's my fault when it goes out, you know? You, you don't have concerns about, uh, well, maybe uh, not in the office, but when I do the alternate DNS thing at home, I always have concerns that it's going to uh, incorrectly locate me geographically and connect me to a CDN that is not actually local to me and give me crappy 
service for video. That's my that's my second biggest concern. My second biggest concern is that it's going to think that I want a CDN in Italy. The thing is, I'm running standard Netflix. I don't know how it's obfuscating my location for MLB and stuff like that, but it is. But yeah, you're you're right. And but the number one reason is I don't know if I get to piss from the high ground anymore about my Apple TV not working right. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like I always want to want to have it with the, you know that that have that not be the excuse. All right, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the Pepsi challenge. See if I can figure it out. You didn't rent your yearbooks at all. Did you get your yearbook signed by your friends when you were a kid? Oh yes, yes I did. That was a thing. That's what that's what we did with the yearbooks. We you give them around to your friends and they all sign it and they don't just write their name. They write something. And so then it's it's incumbent upon them to ruin my yearbook with their embarrassing stuff. My embarrassing stuff was all in other people's yearbooks that I will never see again. Right. Yeah. Right. It was pretty standard fare most of the time. I used to be frustrated. I understand why somebody wants to sign next to their name or next to their photo. You know, like if you have a photo in the yearbook that's not your main yearbook photo, it's kind of a big deal. So people like like <laughs> to sign by that, like them blowing into a French horn or something. It depends on how much room they need because like certain people want like they want the back page or something. Exactly. You want the back page or something huge like that or you're just going to go on for pages and pages in the margins because that's the kind of person you are. In the circles I traveled in, we were long yearbook writers because we like to write things. I got a lot of, um, especially in junior high, I got a lot of uh, Merle. You're a weird kid, but nice. Have a good summer. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly how they all sound. It's always, it, it, you know, they have to make a remark. There has to be some kind of remark that differentiates you. Right. It, uh, it was nice. It was nice sitting behind you in English class. Um, I hope you're less fat next year. Love, John. Or you know, your, right? Your they, friend, they always John. have to take the dig at you to tell you that you're weird or you're a strange. Well, here, maybe that's not the way they all go. Maybe it's just that both of us were strange, and everyone who signed our yearbook felt compelled to point that out. But oh, I think then, it's, I think it's your it's it's your really your opportunity. I don't know. There's this word. I don't know if I'm using this correctly, but like everybody has a kenning. Like there's a certain like a way of naming people. I first heard this in college because there were like six girls named Amy at my school, and there was like there was Snake Amy, there was Lesbian Amy, there was other I, Amy, and so like every Amy, like if you if there's more than one person that had the a same popular name, they had some kind of appellation in front of it. You didn't just do last name initial Amy S Amy P Amy Q. We had 520 people in my entire college. Oh, this is college you're talking about. And well, back in college, well, you wouldn't have lesbian Amy, Amy and snake Amy in, in high school. Well, you might, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's Florida. Um, but you know, that's where people feel free to really unload. I think. I think that's where they really. Uh, one guy, one guy. There's a, a local barbecue chain in Pasco County called Fat Boy Barbecue, and at some point in eighth grade, he decided that was my name. He's gonna call me Fat Boy Barbecue, and so he said, "Fat Boy Barbecue, nice being with you in eighth grade. Hope you're not less fat next year. Uh, see you in English or whatever." And they always, there's always looking looking to the future. Have a good summer. Hope this thing happens. Yeah, there you go. But I think we need to rewind for a second and talk a little bit about Snake Amy. Snake Amy was super interesting. Snake Amy. Um, Snake Amy wore like long hippie skirts. She was, uh, her, her sexual orientation was extremely fluid. She was one of those uh, people that moved in a pack with several orientation fluid people, kind of like a funky sex group, kind of a little bit, a little bit, little bit Ren Faire, little bit hippie, a uh, little bit IBM computer, a little bit D and D, and she had a giant ass snake, like All a right. really big snake. All right, there it is. Okay, I just, I mean, 
everything else you had described. I'm like, okay, is a skirt made of snakes? Did she hang out with snakes? <laughs> okay, all right. You know, that's, that's a totally natural question. The story went around that Snake Amy at one point went into the second court uh, lounge because I guess I guess a snake needs to have like warm food. It's not going to eat it if it thinks. Oh it's yeah, dead. no, you can't. You can't have the frozen mouse. You gotta. You gotta warm it up. Yeah. So, so she microwaved like like a hamster, and supposedly it came back to life. <laughs> Some people swore to it. Its eyes popped out. It came back to life. Its eyes popped, and then the snake totally ate it. That was the story. It's a very prestigious liberal arts school. What do you think about? That? Where is Snake Amy now? What did people write in her yearbook? Uh, you know, a guy that I know who you probably kind of know from the internet. Yeah, he, he hung with Snake Amy. He, so we, we should ask him. I, I still see him on the internet sometimes. Small world. How many of us knew Snake Amy? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're back uh, for the, uh, is this the third, third episode? Something like that. It's really, con- this is so confusing. It's like the Mr. Show sketch, you know, the, the Colin show that's, that's two weeks behind. Yeah, if you, if you don't release them, do they really exist? Who knows what we're on? See, like like today, like as we record this, we can't front. I mean, I'm super excited because the show actually starts tomorrow, which is going to be <laughs> two two weeks from now when you listen to this. <laughs> so what do we got? We got, uh, is there anything we need to say about that? Do we need to say, you know, this is probably the point where we should ask people to leave us a nice review. You, you like to see a nice review. I haven't asked for a nice review on iTunes in a long time. I don't know. You used to ask for it almost every week on Hypercritical. It seemed like a project. Yeah, I, it's like the voodoo of, because people say the best thing you can do for the show, it really helps, blah, blah, blah. Does it really help? What What are we basing the idea that this helps on? Well, I think it's based in part on what we see happen to our friends on the App Store, where you you I think you can speculate that a good review helps, but you can damn sure guarantee that a bad review hurts. Does it though? Who who looks at reviews? Who, who besides people who have podcasts do you know reads reviews of podcasts? Okay, so you're not talking about ratings. You're talking about the distinction between a podcast and an app. Uh, oh yeah, no, I don't I forget about apps. Apps, whatever. I don't I don't know how that world works. But in the world of podcasting, the only reviews I ever read are from my own show, and I don't know if any. Anyway, I I'm not discouraging people to leave, leave a review. Feel free to leave a review. Uh, as of episode three, I don't know what you would possibly write in the review. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what we're going to write in the description of our show, which, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, not yet exists. Is that correct? I find, I find your lack of faith disturbing, John. No, I'm just saying. Anyway, yes, please leave the, a review. The problem, the I mean, I don't, I have to, you know, in disclosure, I should say that there was a time when I was virtually obsessed with statistics, whether that was SiteMeter or Google Analytics. Like when I was doing 43 folders, like I was in some, there were days when I was most excited about posting something so I could then see like how many people linked to it. Like that, it's it's intoxicating. But, you know, having said that, I can tell you that today I don't do that. It does not appeal to me. I'll look at Favstar because I want to see if anybody I like liked what I said. But like, uh, I really avoid reading reviews because especially with the podcast reviews there should be a name for this there's probably a name for this in statistics but podcast reviews are a huge example of whatever that phenomenon is where people leave a five or a one you know there are not that many th- smart three-star reviews well i mean they're interesting because uh, well i don't know i don't have a lot of experience with reviews of podcasts other than my own because again i only read reviews of my own podcast but i do see a lot of thoughtful three and four star reviews because people say you know especially for my podcast surprise they say well 
I like this podcast, but I'm not going to say, you know, it could be better. Like five stars, like you're saying, there's nothing that could improve. Well, they could improve it in this way and that way. And so, and for example, Hypercritical has a lot of reviews that are four star and the one star they took off, they'll explain. I took the one star off because, and they all have reasons for all the things right. they found, which is kind of fitting in theme, in the theme of the podcast. Or maybe I just attract that kind of people to leave reviews, but I think that's fine too. But no, I, I I read them. I mean, mostly what you're looking at is in aggregate. If everyone's saying the same thing, then maybe take that to heart. Uh, and you want to look at the reviews, uh, like the, the the aggregate score. Are you getting a 1.2 or a 4.5? Right, right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't mean to take us off uh, the topic. But, um, but anyway, we're on a podcast. Yeah. Hey, look at us. Look at us. We're out. Um, the, um, the other thing, though, is like... Um, I, I I think you have had in in so many ways you've had an effect on me. But one way you've had an effect on me is like when I do review things now, like I, I don't love leaving a, a you know a, an X out of five review, but I, I've kind of changed the way I I do a review, and I'm realizing I feel really bad about it because like you know if you're if you're just going in and rating your own music, like I have a really now at this point you know I don't really do it much anymore. But like I used to give everything like oh five stars or four stars or anything below three stars is basically garbage. But like why do I have it? But then the thing was that like when I started leaving like four star reviews for like services like Uber and my grocery delivery business, you know on Uber you get fired if you drop below like a four point six. And I was like, I, to me four stars means you did everything about as well as could be expected. That, to me, that's four stars. Four stars is you did everything really well. Five stars is like you figured something extra out or, you know, obviously you went the extra mile. But like you figured out, you did some basic mathematics to figure out how to get me the same number of fluid ounces of seltzer without having to call me and ask me what I wanted different. You know what I mean? It's like I said, I think on, a, on a, another podcast that I can't remember because I'm old. When you go to the car dealership and you buy a car and they, they call you after and they say, if you give me anything less than a 10 out of 10, they're going to kill my entire family. Like that is, that's the pitch, right? And so that's what it means. You're right. It is a binary thing. It's either five stars or they kill your whole family, right? And so when you give a four star review on Uber, I mean, maybe it's not as bad as Uber because I think it's, it's added up, but everybody else is just like huge pressure to get the maximum value. And that's, that's the only thing that is acceptable. So there may be a bunch of different scores you can give, but as far as they're concerned, it's either perfect or nothing, which... Like, and that's how, you know, I don't, I don't, not only do I not read a lot of podcast reviews, I don't write a lot of podcast reviews either. I'll click the five star one on, on podcasts I like, but even then I'm like, I'll click a five star on a podcast. I'm like, does that mean that I think it's perfect? No, but I understand how the game is played, right. which is like, well, people are going to come to this podcast. They're going to want to know, is it worth my time to listen? I listen to it every week for years, five stars. Not because I think it is a perfect podcast, but because that's the way ratings work. I mean, you're, just, off, you're offsetting the grudge reviewers, you know? Yeah, and, and I think grudge reviews are fine. And if I was writing a review, like the people who are writing reviews, in some respects, feel like now they are like reviewing a movie where they have to they demonstrate their insight by finding what's wrong with it, which is great coming from me because that's my whole deal, right? But anyway, when they write a review, that's what they want to do. It's it, they they seem seem to get more of a thrill out of demonstrating how they have figured out what is wrong with this podcast that no one else has figured out than they would from the opposite thrill, which is explaining why they love the thing they love, which is it's an interesting axis because, you know, hypercritical is all about, you know, what's wrong with things. And I sometimes feel like the incomparable, especially the shows I really like to be on is uh, me explaining why something I love is really, really good or mm -hmm. why I love something. Right. And so that's, that's kind of the, the two axes there. And I think it's 
fun to do both of those things. But in reviews, you're right. It, it, it mostly attracts the people who want to explain to you, even if they really love the show, but there's this one thing wrong with it. And let me, let me, let me show you every angle on what's wrong with this here, which that's, that's where review writing kind of invites. And I think it's fine. I think that's, that is valuable feedback showing that someone thought about it for a long time. Where it goes wrong is there's one small thing wrong with the show and that one thing ruins the whole show and one star. And let me explain to you, even though I've been listening to this podcast for three years, I'm giving it a one star review because someone said something I didn't like on one episode once. Oh, yeah. And like you see that on Amazon all the time where, you know, I think pound for pound Amazon reviews, if you go to, you know, if you I always I do like everybody, I guess I tend to look at the most helpful you know, positive and negative reviews. The, the most positive negative review review is sometimes the the clincher for me, or a couple of those. You know what I mean? Because that's where you're getting to somebody who's going trying to really getting into the intricacies of like, well, they sell this as a toy for kids, but like my four year old like destroyed it in a day or something like that. The ones that drive me nuts, and I feel so bad for these. You see these in so many Amazon products. You see this in some boneheaded uh, Apple app uh, reviews where where. Where basically somebody comes in and says, uh, Pet Sounds is my favorite album of all time, but they should not release this version because it hasn't been remastered and et cetera, et cetera. Or conversely, like Pet Sounds is my favorite album of all time. There's no way that we this needs to be released again. One star. That was like Sound and Vision magazine, the extended advertisement for audio video equipment. <laughs> they do uh, music and movie reviews in the back. Uh, and even though I'm assuming they do this because it helps them sell more DVDs and movies, which is their whole business model, they give two ratings. One is, what is the rating for this movie or album? And the second rating is how, I forget what they call it, but how good is this Blu-ray transfer? You know, how good is the media? How how good is the hmm. recording? Two entirely separate ratings. So they say, I rate the movie. This is a great movie, but this version of this movie on DVD is crap. Uh, and that's an interesting approach that at least separates those two things in there. Uh, I haven't seen many other people do it because I guess it confuses matters a little bit. And the Amazon one, like Amazon reviews, not only do I want a second opinion, I want a 900th opinion because mm-hmm. there is always someone on every Amazon review saying this product utterly fails to fulfill its intended purpose. I can't even believe it's legal to sell it. There is always somebody saying that. Sometimes there's three people saying I was so I was always a fan of the previous version of this. And you're like, mm. you know, there's always there's so much grudge reviewing out there. You know, but it's not even a grudge. It's like I ordered this and it was supposed to be a tennis ball and I got it, it was a bowling ball. <laughs> <laughs> there's always one that says that and then it's a hundred people underneath there saying what are you talking about I ordered this and I got a tennis ball don't listen to that bowling ball guy I ordered ten of these all of them were tennis balls not a single bowling ball in the bunch right right <laughs> and there's always the one guy right so there's two bowling ball guys now you're like hmm did they accidentally ship bowling balls at some point but then there's 700 people saying don't listen to the two bowling ball guys these are all tennis balls it gets a little bit I want I, I want I wish I had taken a screenshot of this but there was a really neat app um, called every block that was um, that basically aggregated a ton of mostly publicly available information, like municipal information. So you'd see stuff like police stuff, you know, crime stuff, parking stuff, you know, all kinds of stuff. Sex offenders. Um, I know that's out there. I've looked. I've looked. Is that every block or no? Mm, well, I don't. I don't know. Every block has greatly contracted over the years. Did you know in California, if you if you're caught peeing outside, you can get nailed as a uh, sex offender? I heard that on a podcast once. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, but I remember when the app came out, I was so excited because it was really cool. And my first test of it was I knew I had called the cops on, uh, this loud partying that had been going on 
for several days and I could see my complaint in there. Like it was really, it was really weird. Like I could see like where I had called them and it was really neat. Anyway, but it said, you know, it's, <laughs> I feel so bad for developers, but it said on there, every block is an app for information. It is available in city one, city two, city three, city four, and city five. If you download this app, it's not going to work anywhere else. I think actually Boston was one of them. In any case, but it said, you know, of course, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. It's like TSA. No matter how many times they say, please don't bring water, you're going to, somebody's going to bring water. And in this case, one of my favorite reviews of all time, it was like one star downloaded this app and they don't have my city on it. Guess I should have read the description. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Slack. Slack is an easy-to-use messaging app for teams. Slack brings all your communications into one place, integrating with the tools and services that you use every day. It's teamwork, but simpler, more pleasant, and more productive. Many teams transition to Slack from a siloed collection of tools they've cobbled together to build their own communication fabric, things like email, IM, Skype. You pull all of those disjointed conversations into a single, organized, and searchable view It helps decisions get made faster, but it also radically increases transparency across teams. Teams never have to worry about losing conversations. So many things to love about Slack. Look at the integrations. It integrates with so many of the tools you already use and love. Google Drive, Google Hangouts, Dropbox, Trello, Asana, GitHub, Stripe, Jira, (gasps) MailChimp, and more. So many integrations, and they even have an API so you can build your own integrations. Beauty part, no more internal email, guys. You don't need that. You're living in the past. Move on. All the conversations you used to have with your team are now in Slack, so you don't have to worry about CCing people, digging up an email you sent last week to find an attachment, or accidentally sending private company information to a friend. Those days are over. Slack is available on iOS and Android. Native desktop apps available for Mac and Windows. It's everywhere you want to be. Use any device you want. It's all right there, including state syncing. You can use Slack from anywhere, and you never lose your place. Slack's mission is simple. They want to help make people's working lives simpler, more pleasant, and more productive. Who's using Slack? That's a great question. Slack is now used by, get this, over 750,000 people every day. That includes John, me, and all the other nerds here at Relay.fm. We use this thing. We use, we use the crap out of it. We love this thing. Slack's other customers include companies like Airbnb, eBay, Adobe, Samsung, Zappos. Perhaps you've heard of these. Even the Ice Cube Neutrino Observatory, who use it all the way down at the South Pole. That's the pole where the penguins live. Now, here's the thing. Slack is free to use for as long as you want with as many users as you want. How crazy is that? Slack also have paid plans with additional features and more powerful functionality. Now, get this. Once you go to slack.com slash rectifs, R-E-C-D-I-F-F-S, slack.com slash rectifs, you're going to get $100 in credit that you can use whenever you decide to upgrade to any paid plan. Please go. Please sign up for this. Please join us in having so much fun using this fantastic app, taking so much of the friction out of the workday. Our thanks to Slack for making the world so much more simple and integrated and searchable and indexed and for supporting reconcilable differences. We've got, I think you've got a topic for us. You've got a, a slash topic for us. Yeah, when we were talking about this podcast, trying to think of what the hell we would talk about, which I think we haven't figured out yet. Um, one of the ideas was uh, you felt you needed to be corrected on things. And it was like the idea I would come on and yell at you about all the things you're wrong. I thought we abandoned that. Are we going back to we, that? We totally abandoned that because that's not a thing. Like, I don't think that's a thing. I think that mm. that's a that's a feeling you may have. Hmm. Like, sometimes you feel like that, uh, that I'm going to come on and yell at you and correct you about mm. things. Uh, and I certainly... 
have feelings like that when I'm listening to podcasts that people are on, but they, but they pass. It's momentary, and mostly because I can't remember what it is that you said that you were wrong about. Um, or that we just had a dis- uh, difference uh, of opinion on, which I think is more on topic for the show. But I was reminded while listening to another podcast that I've already forgotten as well. Uh, it will come back to me. Oh, maybe it was uh, that episode of Rocket. Uh, no, not Rocket. The the opposite. The episode of ATP that I wasn't on because I was on Rocket. Oh, right. You guys, did a switch, you, about, you guys did a switch them up. Yes, we did a uh, host swap. And they, uh, Christina, Christina Warren talked about Fight Club 2. Which, she, I, she, was, she loves the Fight Club. Yeah, and that's the comic book. Uh, yeah, Chuck, Chuck Pakachalunik is uh, making a, a Fight Club 2 as, as a uh, graphic novel. And then going to parlay that into a screenplay, I guess, eventually? Turns out. Isn't that crazy? What a, what a crazy way to go. Right. So anyway, I'm uh, I'm not particularly excited about a Fight Club 2 movie, and I'm not into comics, but it reminded me, just thinking about Fight Club and talking about Fight Club, I've heard Merlin talk about Fight Club in a way that has made me frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I have a podcast with him, and we can talk about that. And that also led me to somehow through to uh, sports, which is another thing I've heard you talk about and seen your tweet about that has led me to be frustrated in some ways. So we can talk about Fight Club and sports. It's perfect. Pro- probably in that order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, figure out what, what the deal is here. Yeah. No, I'm ready. It, it's complicated. It's all, it's all super complicated, but I'm, I'm game. So how would you summarize your previous statements about and current feelings for Fight Club, the movie? I have never read the book, so we can't talk I about mean, it. should I cut to the chase? Uh, I don't know. I mean, do you want me to dance around? Well, I can dance around a little bit. It's the movie looks, you know, like David Fincher did it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks exquisite. Uh, the production design is amazing, and like for its time, like the way it does all the stuff with it was kind of ahead of its time with that whole lonely sandwich. Like, uh, you know, here's the name of this uh, IKEA furniture stuff. I remember really loving that. I just I love the way it looks. I mean, Seven is kind of one of my favorite movies. So, you know, I love that look. I love his sort of muted palette i think the performances were really good um i guess if i had been a little bit younger it might have like hit me too much like i might have loved that movie too much if i were a little bit younger something it's it's to quote sloan it's not the band i hate it's their fans the thing about fight club is the thing that drove me most nuts about fight club as a cultural artifact as with sports yes is that the people who are really into it uh, can be really tiresome, and in the case of Fight Club, there there's something fundamentally not even hypocritical. It's more annoying than being hypocritical. There's something so farcical about their belief that Fight Club is this movie about like getting real in this like this you know broken commoditized commoditized society. But like it's just it seems weird to me the way that people are so into this particular idea. <sighs> about a very interesting idea that like probably in the novel came across really well. It came across well in the movie, but when, when the fans spout on and on about it with their fedoras about like, you know what it's like to be a man in America today, I just, it just loses me completely. And it's, it just seems so farcical to me that people find so much identity in quoting this movie that they've watched a lot. Like that particular movie, it's really super weird. It's kind of like talking about how much you like Noam Chomsky by how many copies of his book you bought. There's something kind of basically weird about it to me. So I'm not dead set against the movie. I think as a totemic 
touchstone, if you can have a totemic touchstone, uh, for male masculinity, I think it's gotten blown way out of proportion and a lot of the finer points of what made that movie interesting, including the fact that the character's mad, uh, gets kind of lost in all of the machismo and toxic masculinity. So you've complained about the fans of the movie and the way people interpreted the movie, but everything you said about the movie, for the most part, was positive. And, like, do you think... What do you think the intent of the movie was? Pretend that there are no other people on Earth but you and the people who made Fight Club, and they make the movie, and then you watch it, and you don't have to hear anyone else's opinion about it. What would you say that that movie was trying to communicate to you, the viewer? As a Hollywood movie product? As anything, like why did he make this movie? Like, you know, well, I mean, what am I doing? Am I doing like some kind of like a genetic criticism? Like, I'm not sure which angle you want me to come at it from. I mean, on the face of it, I think it's a brilliantly done Hollywood. Um, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful, well done movie in many ways. Great performances. I think that the 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 philosophical message of it has been really mangled. And the by the creator or by the fans? Like, because again, there are no other fans. It's just you. Like by by the people who made the movie that they've mangled it? B plus Shyamalan. B plus? I don't know. Um, A minus? I know. I think it's I think it's good. I don't think, like, you know, I, I get into conversations with people all the time who are like, you know, I don't like Blade Runner as much as most people. And they want to, like, pick a fight with me. I'm like, that's fine. Like, that's really okay. Like, I'll sleep pretty much the same tonight with you not liking Blade Runner as much as me. Like, I, I, John, I wish I could tell you how many people I'm okay not liking the Smiths as much as I do. I made my peace with that in 1986. I hope others make their peace with the fact that, like, as an artifact that is constantly name-checked by douchebags, like, I think the net effect of that movie is not what people think it is. But, I was, you know, I'll we'll talk about it either way. I mean, you're asking me, and I'm telling you that, like, as an artifact, it's in the same way that it's difficult for me to decouple sports from sports culture. It's difficult for me to decouple Fight Club from Fight Club culture. And, like, the constant quoting is so robotic and, like, like third-wave Ikea in its own way, and nobody seems to get that. So you... Sounds like you might kind of have a Total Recall type situation here. Are you familiar with Total Recall? How would I know? <laughs> yes, I'm familiar with it. All right, all right. What's the head say? What's the head say? What is it? I'm, uh, two weeks, right? What is it? The, when, the, when, they, when the head comes off the, and he's holding the head in his hand? Oh, get ready for a surprise. Yeah, right, right, right. All right. Um, so I have to check. I'm on, a, I'm on a podcast with Marco and Casey. I got to check. Anyway, the Total Recall problem. Unlike Fight Club, people who are into Total Recall, their enthusiasm is not grading or douchebaggy or whatever at least to me i don't think there's i don't think that's a thing right whereas at the fight club i understand exactly what you're talking about with the the people who are very into the show right but in my experience the vast majority of people who have seen and enjoyed total recall that i've encountered do not understand the pretty much unambiguous plot of the movie which is spoilers for total recall a movie from the 80s maybe Stop listening now if you haven't seen Total Recall. It's probably yeah. worth watching. Just pause the podcast. It'll be here when you go back. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Watch the movie. Anyway, the plot of the movie is, what's his name, goes to the recall place to have a memory vacation thingamabobber, uh, which he specifies based on his desires and what kind of adventure he would like to have. Then he has that adventure at the recall place, and he wakes up and goes back to his life. And that is not what most people take from the movie. Because they miss the clues that are left early on and the ending of the movie, which uh, 
which tells you that like, oh, well, this is exactly what he signed up for. Everything that he specified, I want this, I want that, I want that, I want to have this adventure, I want to be like that. That all happens in the movie exactly according to his desires. And at the end of the movie, they try to give you a hint by bringing the camera up to the sun or whatever and having like the little flare go out like, oh, you're waking from a dream. And that's like the end of the movie, right? But it was too subtle for so many people. So they think he went to this recall place and he wanted to have one of these memory vacation things, but it went wrong and he didn't have a memory vacation. And it turns out, he, you know, he really is a spy and that thing could have woken his memories and he ends up on Mars and he fights his people and he meets this uh, athletic brunette that he's super into and like, and he's trying to figure out whether it's a dream and the bead of sweat and blah, blah, blah. Like that's, that's what they're trying to, to show you. But the movie is fairly unambiguous. That's not what happened. And the reason it's unambiguous is because when he's at the recall facility, specifying his memory vacation thing or whatever they called it there are pictures on the monitor uh which i assume are like matte paintings or or pre-production concept art for the climactic scene on mars with the big pillars and everything oh wow like there there are paintings of that flashing on on the screen like when he's specifying at the memory before he goes under when he's specifying what he wants how would the memory vacation place know what these real we're going to terraform mars giant alien pillar things look like they wouldn't it's part of his memory vacation so it's like a, it's a double twist him up because it seems like he's you know something's gone wrong but but it was actually it went exactly right it, it all happened right. the way it was supposed to it was all part of the illusion yeah and so the first time you watch a movie you're not going to see the little weird black pillar things on the tv screen because you have no idea what you know you're not looking at the background or whatever but at the end of the movie they tell you in a, I guess, way too subtle way by doing this sort of, you know, I, I think they bring the camera up to the sun and it, it brightens and fills the screen with white or whatever to give you that sort of Hollywood hint that, oh, now you're waking up, the the merry vacation is over. And then on second or third view, you can go back and say, oh, yeah, there's no way that vacation place could have had images of the secret, you know, thing that melts all the ice on Mars and terraforms it, right? Because that would be ridiculous. It makes no sense. Unless it's just part of the vacation, which it totally is. That is the most fun and exciting part of Total Recall for me. Most people who like Total Recall don't even know that, and they don't care. Uh, and what I'm with the Fight Club thing, it's like, well, does it annoy me that people don't understand, you know, the, basically the plot of Fight Club? Like, that it's not, like, open to interpretation. You could think it'd go either way, that they put evidence in the movie, kind of like the little unicorn in Blade Runner, like, in, you know, in, in the good cut. Is there, any, is there any equivocation about what happened in Fight Club? Well, no, but what I'm saying is you like the movie, but you're frustrated that what other people took from it is not what you think the movie was putting out. See what I'm saying? So, like, I think the message of Fight Club is not what these people who annoy you are taking from the movie. I think they are missing it in the same way that people watch and enjoy or enthusiastic about Total Recall, but totally miss a major part of the plot of the movie, right? So... When people go to Fight Club and say, yeah, man, it's tough to be a man in America and masculinity is gone and we need to have a Fight Club or whatever, they think that that was the message of the movie. They think Fight Club was trying to show uh, all of the the difficulties of being a man in modern life and how we needed to get back to get away from consumer culture and get back to a primal state and maybe not go too far, but really like that's the big problem. And I think what Fight Club is saying is it is tempting to believe that the the this situation is what's happening to you but as you pointed out the character in the movie is nuts and the ending of the movie is he figures it out and says wait a second this is crazy forget about that i need to become a normal well-adjusted person and the little twist at the end is like but that crazy phase i had 
<laughs> also destroyed all those buildings. And when he finally snaps out of it and the buildings crumble, it's a it's a good, fun, bittersweet ending because he comes out of it. That's what it's trying to tell you. They're like, you should not, don't embrace this. It's stupid. It's, it is not as deep and profound as you think it is. In reality, the problem is you and you need to get yourself straightened out uh, and then everything will be better. But uh, oops, there go all the credit history of everyone in the United States. Hmm. And so when people misinterpret the movie, I can understand being frustrated with them. But the movie itself, I see, is completely unambiguously saying, this guy is nuts. And it and, and yeah. it's trying to make it as seductive and as like, yes, like it, it is trying, what it's trying to do is say, look how, look how amazingly attractive and seductive this idea is. Look how it excuses and explains everything that's bad in your life. Look how you can leverage these feelings to advance yourself along a trajectory that you think is the right one. And then look how insane it is if you follow it through to its logical conclusion. And really you need to snap out of it, even if it means sticking a gun in your mouth. Sorry, spoilers for Fight Club. Hmm. So, I think Fight Club is a beautifully made movie, beautifully acted. Uh, like, if I had to, if I was a reviewer and had to put one of those pull quotes on the th- on the, the movie thing, I would say kinetic filmmaking, which is a David Fincher uh, hallmark, I mm-hmm. think. But Fight Club is one of the, uh, the movies that I think it applies to the most. That everything is in motion, the the camera, the music, the characters, just nearly flawless. So the game is still my favorite movie of his because it's mostly because it's underrated. What is it? The game? The game. Never heard of that. Oh, all right. All right. right. No, get no, in, no. Get an index card. Mm-hmm. Write this down. Mm-hmm. The game, this is another, again, talking about, are we talking about the movie here? Are we talking about the reaction? The reason the game is my favorite one is probably because so few people know about it, it, it becomes more special to me. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I, I totally know. Uh, but also because I think it it's pacing and sensibilities uh, appeals to me. Anyway, watch the game. Don't read anything about it. Okay. Don't do anything. Just put it on your list. How about how old is that? Uh, before Fight Club, I think. Okay, all right. So late, late, late nineties, something like that. I have no. You talk about nineteen ninety. No, I know, I know. Sorry, plus three, minus five. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the year that didn't exist. Well, <laughs> I, the nineties as a decade. You would not believe how many people like react to that seriously. They're furious that I won't admit that OK Computer came out in that year that didn't exist. <laughs> They're like. I could never have called that either, by the way. Not that that was an OK Computer Also because, I mean, we'll get to that in the music show. I don't think I listened to OK Computer when it came out. I think I listened to uh, way after. Yeah, that's OK. Um, hmm. So, well, I mean, I, I'm, again. It, well, no, I, I have a response. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm with you, and I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to polish off all of my, my liberal arts terminology here to, to try and talk about what we're talking about, what we talk about when we talk about Fight Club. Um, because the... You know, this is like sort of the, the argument is like argument from intention. Like, how do people take it? Like, there's so many different ways, different like critical schools of looking at that. So, I mean, you are right. I mean, I, I don't dispute at all that. Like, I think it's a beautifully done movie. Uh, and, and I and I have to say, yes, I mean, I guess. OK, so let me put it this way. Um, do you want to get into this? Yes, okay. yes, that's what we're doing. Um, I could I could claim to be um putting out I mean, this is a straw man so just go with me but like i could be claim i could claim to be proving the uh, how problematic pornography is by putting out like a really really super detailed pornographic movie that's just so gross and so pornographic that like when you when you get to the end and you find out that oh my god that's somebody's daughter you feel really bad in the last 5 minutes the thing is though 
like I spent two hours and 10 minutes just mostly putting out a lot of really, really gross porn to make this point. And that point is not nearly as compelling or memorable as all the porn you just watched. So, like, I take your point about about what you're saying, and I and I I haven't seen Total Recall recently enough. I just I remember Total Recall being a joyride, just being. Is that for Hoven? Did he do that? Yeah, I think you would have a stronger point for Total Recall because that movie is a totally straightforward Arnie action movie, right up until the last three seconds or, of the movie where they give you the hint that it was a dream sequence, and then you can go back and review and prove to yourself that it was right. Well, then, why aren't why aren't more of the guys doughy and crying? Like, why is it, why is it such like a homoerotic violence fest with, with, it's like, it's just short of like a Nuremberg rally for so much of the movie. But they don't wait, but it's not like a little twist at the end. Oh, and by the way, everything we showed you was BS. That's the arc of the movie. That's the watch story. It. I'm going to watch it again tonight. I'm going to watch it again tonight. Cause I do, I do like the movie, but, but I mean, I, I, think I mean, it's... I get what you're saying. Like if you, if your message was that you're supposed to be telling people that this is BS and most people come away thinking it's not BS, then in some respects you fail to communicate as an artist, the, the thing you were trying to convey. But in other respects, I think like, again, if it's not just a tack on, like, I think the entire arc of the movie is that. And I think it being seductive in the beginning is important. And kind of in the same way of like Goodfellas, it being seductive in the beginning is important, but it's also important for eventually there'd be helicopters and cocaine to see that the arc bends. Oh, now that, that, that I think things, was successful. And, right. And things go off the rails and you end up, I mean, if, if anything, uh, you know, Fight Club is more optimistic because he ends up in a better place. Like he finally figures it out and he comes out of it. Right. Right. Um, Whereas it doesn't work out as well in Goodfellas. But like that, I think, is the arc of the movie is that it's seductive and interesting in the beginning. Like it sounds like, you know, yes, I'd like to, uh, you know, subscribe to your newsletter and go to your seminar. <laughs> and then it just gets progressively crazier and crazier. And I, I think that arc is like they're hoping the, the idea is that at some point you're going to bail. And these people who you you uh, think uh, are, are annoying about the movie never bailed like they just kept going like yeah totally set the building on fire knock the big ball down like blow up all the credit history and like at that point maybe you know the the filmmaker has failed to show the consequences but i think yeah maybe it was just a little bit too seductive to to you know when when you're providing someone an, an excuse or an explanation for their problems that is not their fault but like with some distance maybe if you look at it now and watch how the movie like it starts bending and it's like no guys no this is not this is not what's going on here like especially i mean especially at the point where you realize the the split between the two people that should be your big clue guess what he's cuckoo and if you've been on board with this you may want to examine how you know you're seeing the world as well um and and then we have ed norton fighting against brad pitt in the, that that's the climax of the movie is him trying to you know, realizing how nuts it is and facing the consequences of that insanity and fighting against it and eventually triumphing sort of with exploding buildings in the background so, yeah. i will um i i've enjoyed i enjoyed the movie a lot i will happily watch it again and and but i mean just to clarify what i think is our uh difference on this is we're, we're kind of arguing about slightly different things i mean i i if, if you have to put me up on a poster of like am i you know pro or am i for it or for it or again it i'm i'm again it just because there's so many people that are for it like i i'm okay to like you know with with all with all due respect to uh chuck chuck pecan lana cook and to uh, david fincher hmm? that's pretty close right yeah i think I, so you I got think, it i think it's dutch i uh i um i mean i do i do really like the movie but i mean there are certain kinds of things where I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I need. I need to rewatch it. But I guess. I guess. I feel like that. 
And I'm glad to hear you put it this way because, you know, um, I, I guess I'm remembering, I, I watched it probably as recently as maybe a year, year and a half ago, and I, and I do enjoy it. Um, and I think it is pretty Shyamalan in a lot of ways. Um, but the, I, I guess I feel like the reveal came later in the movie than I'm remembering. I mean, it does. It's past the halfway point. And well, it's it's pretty well past the halfway point, I think. Yeah, here's the other thing. Maybe I mean, you should look at the timestamp. Maybe I'm misremembering it too. But because the beginning does feel like uh, it does move along at a clip, and then once that happens, then uh, it breaks things up. But you know, the sixth sense, I knew the secret of before I saw. I can't remember. Oh no, really? It. Yeah, well, that's a, uh, that's such a shame because that uh, I mean that really. Well, this is this is why I'm so spoiler averse. The reason I knew the secret of the sixth sense before I saw it is because I vaguely heard a hint that there is a sec- that there is a twist in this movie, and I had seen a couple seconds of an ad, and it was like oh, no. two and two go together in about a second. Because oh god, I'm so with you. Don't I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything, anything, anything about it. Like if it's a movie I really want to see, like I, I'm like I'm like you with the Star Wars, where I'm like, no, don't even show me production stills, or like your whole bit about like you know when I'm looking at the DVD or the Blu-ray, don't show me oh, scenes from the movie yeah, on the, the menu. Worst. What are you? The worst. We watched Goldfinger two nights ago, and I was like, I've seen Goldfinger. 13 times probably since I was a kid. And I, it still makes me mad to see stuff like on the menus. You're like... <laughs> on the menu is the hat shop on the head off a statue. <laughs> right? So save that scene. That's so yeah. glorious. Um, but you know what's funny with Shyamalan is like, yeah, I, I have such... I'm realizing I have such terrible taste in movies. I used to think I had really good taste in movies. Now I'm realizing like a lot of stuff that's like considered like schlocky, I think I kind of like. And um, and, and high was... art like Fight Club, you have a grudge against? I don't have a grudge against it. <laughs> you know, I, I get what you're saying, but like it's it, it's just all those all those quotes. It was always everybody's. It's everybody's like Other email people's signature. reaction to this movie has ruined it for you. Okay, I'm gonna go look at some of these quotes from this. Um, um by the way, I'm looking at the little thing now. So it's it was uh seven the game then Fight Club seven in ninety five the game in ninety seven the year it didn't exist and Fight Club in ninety nine. That's why you didn't see the game. Seven, seven came first, huh? Yeah. Did, you, did you see uh, Did you see Seven in the theater? No, you're probably a little young. I did not. I am not. Uh, I I don't go to horror movies in the theater pretty much ever. And I think the only reason I watched Seven was because it was David Fincher and people, you know, raved about it and said like it's not your typical horror movie or whatever. Uh, I think oh Seven God. is very well done. Oh, I loved it. But uh, and talk about you're getting all Shyamalan-y. Like that's got the most Shyamalan-y oh, of any. Uh, David no, 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 hundred percent. But they pulled it off. I think they earned it. Right. I, no, I, like, I, I think that is a well-made movie, but there are certain kinds of movies that, like, I, I don't think I would ever voluntarily watch Seven again. Uh, well, and, and I voluntarily watched Schindler's List more than once. Not oh, that's, many a, that's more, a good more movie. Once, that's a good but, movie. But, like, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List are the type of movies a lot of people, like, I've seen once, I don't need to see again. I have watched those a couple of times. Schindler, Schindler's List was not as sexy the second time. Um, the, the thing, the thing is I, I have a very specific recollection. I, my, my housemate at the time, Dennis had this rule of thumb, Dennis, God, I wish you knew Dennis. You guys would get along so well. He was so great. He had this rule where he would go, <laughs> he had all these weird deals with himself. One of the weird deals that he had was that he had to go see any movie that made over a hundred million dollars. He would go and see in the theater. Just be- that, is a, that is a terrible rule. <laughs> That's a fantastic rule. <laughs> a lot of rule. Transformers. Movies. Well, no, but I mean, the '90s it was still it was still meaningful. But I still have uh, a very specific recollection of going to see Seven with him in one of those theaters where you can have drinks, you know, where where there's like tables and swivel chairs and stuff. And yeah. we, I remember we walked in just a little, not just the tiniest bit late, but seeing those credits. I guess what I'm saying is, like, now we're getting into something. Now you're in my territory as an old man, which is like, 
You know, when we talk about Star Wars, every time I hear those two syllables, I will always think of the same thing, which is like the spring of 1977 and being 10 years old. No matter what, it, no matter, anytime somebody uses those two syllables in any way, talking about all these things and all of these, these Boba Fetts and these figures and stuff, like to me, Star Wars is my butt in a theater with my friend John in 1977 being 10 years old and having my life feel utterly transformed. And like, you know, it's, it's completely impossible to go like what, a, almost a generation and a half and like try and explain what that was like for somebody, right? Same way though, like imagine, imagine if you didn't know what you were getting into and you walked in to see like 2001, maybe you'd had a little, little bit of weed and you go in and you're going to see 2001 in the theater, like not really knowing what to expect. I didn't know what to expect with Star Wars. I'm just saying with seven, for example, like you now when you go back if you go back tonight you go oh this you know John and Merlin talked about this movie I'm gonna go check this out and you're gonna see those credits and you go wow these are pretty innovative <laughs> they weren't just innovative whenever that came out in 1990 whatever like that that movie was like again it was like like an Edgar Wright movie in the sense of like it feels like I'm watching a genre being reinvented and stuff like those credits where it was it was so you're talking about the, the opening or closing credits oh uh, the ones at the beginning with all the little the crazy writing and all this, this I remember the closing credits because they go backwards in my recollection is. I don't remember that part like so whichever way credits normally scroll and now that I'm trying to think of it I'm sure I'll get a reverse oh, whichever go, way credits uh, top normally to, top go to bottom. from right I believe the ones in 7 went in the opposite direction just for that added bit of disturbingness at the movie but like so you find yourself rewatching 7 you said it's one of your favorite your favorite Fincher movie do you rewatch it like every once in a while I probably I watched re, I rewatched 7 sometimes for the sake of argument it depends on what a good what good copies of things show up in places and I'll go oh a good copy of that thing showed up and I'll go watch that in 1080p and go like wow this is really good rain this is really good rain that's really good looking spaghetti this is a really good looking movie but <laughs> but in that case I can still enjoy it without knowing the Shyamalan uh, part yeah no it's a, it's a well made movie but like I have a, the horror sort of scary movies or movies with gross stuff or both uh, bother me at a level that that you know, that I can appreciate Seven for the great movie that it is, and of all the horror movies I've ever seen, like that's the one I enjoyed the most. But I find I find myself not wanting to go back to it just because I feel like I would be bothered by that stuff more. I've added than... reviews. I've now added scary movies because I want to come back to that on another episode. Um, <laughs> but okay, so so you know, I, I I'm not. This might be a distinction without a difference. I, I'm not against Fight Club as a film. Um, it's just it's very it's and I, this probably will lead us into your discussion of sports because. I just, you know, I don't know. It's it's funny. Like, there are probably some people that, like, when they hear the name The Dark Knight, they think about loving um, Batman on TV as a kid. Other people hear The Dark Knight and think about shootings in a theater, right? Everybody brings something different to these cultural artifacts that I think it's it's a little dismissive in some ways to, like, act like these things exist in a bell jar and like the, the so like I'm not against the David Fincher movie what 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 I find troubling is the like lack of self-consciousness about the people who are doing this particular reading I guess so I'm gonna go back and I'll watch it again but you know I I, I guess I'm guilty as anybody of like well I mean for example were you a Bill Cosby fan Sure, I watched the Cosby Show. Who, who didn't watch the Cosby Show? No, dude, I'm talking like deep catalog. Oh, like, I, I, Bill Cosby himself, I watched that a hundred. Bill times Cosby himself, the chocolate cake behind you. Like, I, I'm just here to tell you that, like, I'm gonna say, um, what? Probably Monty Python, um, David Letterman, Bill Cosby. Like, 
pretty much <laughs> 85% of every joke I make is in some way based on one of those three things. But, you know, um, I tried to like kind of just push it away for a while. But now, like, I can't really even enjoy Bill Cosby himself. You know, because of those genetic factors. But that's but that's the person who made the thing. Like, and, and that's that's a whole different thing. Like, I I can understand. I don't, think, I don't think it's that different. I think I think I think a, a media object can be tarred by all kinds of stuff that is not something as simple as the execution of the people who created it. I I I'm, I really believe that. I mean, when you I don't know. You tell me. Make your case. Well, so. I mean, I guess it just comes down to like, look, you know, everyone is affected by what other people think. Again, again, like I said, I think I like the game more because so few people would pick it as their Fincher movie gives it that extra little bit. Right. So maybe it would be tied with Fight Club if, if I wasn't affected by what other people thought of the movie. But I think I am far less concerned about what other people think of something than you are because... There are probably plenty of things that I like. Ah, uh, straw man. Are, are super. No, no. I'm like, calling straw man on that. No, 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 no. Like uh, you, after you did the porn thing, come on. I uh, like this. <laughs> that uh, basically, so other people are, are are annoying about it, right? And I'm. I think I don't let that change my enjoyment. If anything, what it would make me do is become a someone who sort of stumps for what I think is the correct interpretation and to try to convince all those people you're missing the point guys in the same way that I'm frustrated by people who don't understand Total Recall I'll say uh you know someone says they really like Total Recall it's all I can do to stop myself from asking them how they what they think the plot of the movie was and explaining to them because I think now you're getting it wrong um but it doesn't diminish my appreciation right so the I the the sort of bro interpretation of Fight Club uh I don't like that interpretation but the fact that there are tons of people out there it has no no has no impact on the actual movie. But it does. Here's the impact it has. It makes me think that maybe this piece of art is not as well crafted and successful as I think it is. If so many other people took something else from it, like it bring it brings me back to, uh, just because you got this from it, either a they have the correct interpretation and you don't. If you were to talk to David Fincher, he'd be like, yeah, man, I'm totally into that, right? And and that I'm the one that's wrong. Or B, that David Fincher tried to do something and didn't succeed, that even though I feel like I got his message and if we sat down, he'd be like, yeah, man, you totally got it. So many other people didn't that there must have been something wrong with it. But it all comes back to the thing. It doesn't come back to, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm. it comes back to, maybe I'm wrong about the quality of the thing. Maybe I'm wrong about the intention behind the thing. Or maybe the thing isn't as good as I thought it was. But in the end, that is, you know... That is just a small factor, and then my enjoyment of the movie. Every t- every time I watch it, it brings a smile to my face. I think it is amazingly tight movie making. I see how the pieces fit together. I think it's beautifully shot and acted. The it's one of those movies, unlike The Sixth Sense, where even after you know the twist, like the mm-hmm. whole thing still works and hangs together. I love the writing in it. I love how sort of minimal and clever the writing is. Maybe that's from the book. Again, I don't know. I don't know nothing about that author. I never read it, but that still works for me and so i'm able to push aside everything else and say well maybe all that's true maybe i'm getting the wrong thing from us but this is my interpretation of the movie i like my interpretation of the movie and when i watch the movie i enjoy it uh and other people getting it wrong in my opinion doesn't diminish that for me uh you uh you take me to task on things like how i pronounce totoro how did i say it wrong i don't even remember try to try to uh, blank your mind and just say it maybe it'll come back out my neighbor totoro it's fine. Totoro. Totoro. Um, Sing the song. Which one? First one or the second one? The one that has Totoro is the only word. You would be with Totoro, Totoro. Yep, yep. I thought you wanted to hear the other one. 
<laughs> no, great. Now it's going to be in my because head that, all night. Because that has two possible cadences. That first time they say hey, it is one go. way. Hey, let's go. Honestly, the that's the dub. Come on. No. <laughs> well, well, get ready because here's my point. Like, you know, I, you know what? It's, it's, I'm, I, I don't want to argue with you. But like, for example. No, no, no. This is what's, what, well, what, like, what you know, like my kid, um, I don't know what her favorite is. She really liked Castle in the Sky the most for a while. Um, more recently, she's really gotten into, um, Oh God! What's the crazy one with the uh, in the woods? The not Princess Mononoke, but Spirited Away. Nausicaa. Like That's she crazy. really likes Nausicaa. Yeah. Crazy one in the woods is how you describe that. Anyway, and but we, you know, I think our family favorite in some ways is Totoro. Like we've seen it in the theater. She's got stuffies. She's got a cat bus. My daughter has never seen it with subtitles. Like she's only ever heard it with the the Fannings, doing the voices. And like, and I, and I, I feel like I, I hear you like, um, it sounds to me like it matters a lot to you to get the right subtitles when you watch something or to like, like, I guess, I guess there's, I'm, this is not a trick question. I'm actually curious about this, but like, it's like when you're looking for, well, let me take a step back. What are you looking for when you're, when you're getting a movie? Like you want, like if you're getting a download of a movie, you want a high quality, like a good, a good print. You want your TV to be set up to the right settings. You don't want it to be too bright. You don't want want it to have Best Buy settings. But when you're deciding stuff like subtitles, like how do you pick either what is like? Do you choose what you think is the the best, the closest, the most literal, the most? Uh, you know what I mean? It's like any kind of a translation of anything. I'm just curious because like you seem to have like a real line in the sand about certain kinds of things. And I'm curious. And like in this case, you're making the case that this movie, this above average movie that a lot of people like, it has been kind of gotten, it's gotten a bad rap from people like me because they're not looking at it as the movie in itself. When you're looking at a movie, and in this case, there's a certain amount of like creativity you have to bring to like finding the right fan sub, stuff like that. I don't know if I'm making a good point here, but like, what is it you're really looking for? You're looking like... Are you looking for the closest to uh, what the original intention was? Are you looking for the closest, like the most evocative? Like, what do you look for in things like a fan sub and, yeah, and things I, like that? I'm not I, I don't know if that sure seems. I, I don't know if yeah, it seems exactly relevant, but I think it kind of is. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure it's related, but I can give you the answer for that. Well, we can skip it if it's a, not. A little, a little bit different for. Uh, well, all right, so what I'm actually looking if I'm going to watch it for myself, which is different than my kids are watching. My kids are watching. Obviously, they watch the dubs for the same reasons because they don't like subtitles, can't read fast enough in most cases. Uh, but when I'm looking for subs for myself, the general rule of thumb I go with is find the sub i'm looking for two things one competence so like you want people who are experienced in making subtitles it's going to be synced it's going to be in a nice font there's not going to be any weird unicode issues you know the whole nine yards and two i want the group that is the most enthusiastic about the particular television show or movie enthusiastic in in what way they are the super fans they know everything there is to know about this they have seen all the extra material they've read all the interviews with the creators like they have deep insight and knowledge into every aspect of the production of this thing uh and then they pour that all into subtitling to decide is this the place where it's appropriate to do a literal translation is this a place where it's important to communicate something that people may not know and occasionally this manifests in the little notes i don't know if you've seen this on a lot of anime fan subs well they were well they would decide the best thing to do in this, this situation is to put this literal translation but also have a note up in the corner that explains the cultural background that explains that oh, particular you're kidding. thing you said right, some, yeah. sometimes you said recently on a show that they sometimes will like cover up a sign 
Yeah, well, that's usually you don't want that, but sometimes <laughs> they will they will overlay like an English translation of something they think it's important for you to see because it's uh, or like if there's a pun, they want you to get the pun that only works in Japanese, and so they will essentially explain the pun to you in in a, in a on, separate on screen. Track. Yes, on screen. Sometimes they'll do a bunch of stuff. Oh, it's like a Norton annotated edition. <laughs> yeah, it's like pop a video on VH1. Sometimes right, they'll right. do a thing at the beginning of the, every tele- television episode to say, look, we're going to show you this episode, but here's some cultural background you need to know about, you know, Japanese forest spirits or, you know, Buddhism or uh, Japanese government history or whatever so that the rest of the show makes sense. Uh, and those people, like the reason they're doing that is because they are, they are Western fans of the thing in the same way. And they're like, I want to understand every aspect of this. So if you just give me the Americanized translation, well, this is kind of like the mailman, but it's not really the mailman, but we're going to subtitle as mailman, right? These people are like, well, that would work, but we want you to understand that in Japan, it's not the mailman. It's this other person. And there's this thing. And by the way, this is a Japanese pun for this. They want you to get all angles of it. And so they find some way to get that information to you in the program. That can be overwhelming for people who aren't big giant fans. So my second choice is give me the literal translation and I will trust my own vague knowledge of Japanese culture as seen through anime for me to figure out how things work. And if I don't get the Mm -hmm. puns, I don't get the puns. And my third choice is the Americanized one where they just say, American people don't even know what that is. Creepy. I'm just going to call it the bathroom. (laughs) Right. And we'll we'll be done with it, right? And American people don't know what that holiday is. Just say they're going home for Easter, right? Like, that is my last choice. Well, this is a... Okay, thank you. This goes, uh, God, this goes back a long way to like translating Dante, and like you can read, you can read the Inferno in so many different translations based on. And forgive me, I haven't studied this in years, but if memory serves, you know, it depends on what you decide to be really true to. And um, did you ever read Gerda Lischerbach? Uh, no, but I believe I have that ebook somewhere unread. Um, uh, Douglas Hofstadter has a book that's just like dozens of translations of this one particular poem to show how different people would do it including like five of his own but it's so interesting to me like you know I'm saying Dante because like well you know are you going to try to get the literal meaning across are you going to try and maintain the meter of the verse are you going to try and maintain like even things like line length? Are, you know what I mean? What it is that you? What is it you're like? Do you want to get the basic point? Do you, is there a larger metaphorical message? Ferrer Jaco all over again. From, from oh Roderick. right, with Roderick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I ha- and I have had that exact same thought about the exact same th- song, by the way. Yeah. Once I learned French. Wait a second. Alan <laughs> Z. Um, and so so but like in this case, like I I think this is I think this is like actually kind of weirdly germane because in a time where, um. I don't know. I mean, I want to make sure we leave time for the sports stuff. But like, for example, like, you know, think about, you know, do I remember correctly that you're not a giant Blade Runner fan? No, I am a giant Blade Runner. Oh, you are? Oh, my yes. God. Okay, cool. Uh, what's your favorite version? I watched the final cut and my memory is bad enough that I couldn't distinguish it from the director's cut that I had seen before. But you saw it, you saw it remastered recently. I have the, I have the one with the seven versions, like whatever the the very latest one with like a bazillion different cuts on Blu-ray. I have that one. And what I okay. watched on that one was I only watched the quote unquote final cut and I and I had seen the director's cut so <laughs> long before that that I'm like, right. what is different between the final cut and the director's cut? Certainly not the one with the voiceover. But within the other cuts, sure. if there are nuances there, I'm not getting them because my gaps between viewings are too large. So I'm either going to say the director's cut, which I have in DVD, or the final cut, which I have in Blu-ray. And whatever the differences are between them, I apparently didn't notice them. Yeah, I, I, I remember recently having a reason why I liked the final cut. And the main reason I for me was like I'd finally gotten like a halfway decent 
like half, literally like halfway decent TV to where um, you get the beginning and the boom, you know, and they're zooming in on the Tyrell building and doing that cut between the guy smoking in the office and then showing the building from outside. And it was the first time I ever saw something you certainly know because you have good eyesight and a nice TV that as you get closer and closer to the Tyrell building, you can actually see him in the window. Did you ever notice that? Yeah, they do the little, uh, I mean, they did that in the, uh, at the end of Empire Strikes Back as well. Like they have the little, it's not a blue screen, but like they, they take the little TV picture and they shove it in the thing. I guess so. It looked pretty good on my. Yeah. You know, have you ever seen the making of that that cityscape, the Blade Runner making? No, of? Like no, what I, that, I what all the crap is made out of. It's pretty uh, crazy. Uh, I would I would really enjoy that. But like in that case, like that's maybe that's an extreme example. But you know, your other your what I believe to be your favorite movie. I mean, you know, is there something different to be gotten from watching the first two Godfather movies on Blu-ray? versus watching the trilogy versus watching any of those other like versions like you know i guess blade runner is maybe the canonical example here where like you know depending on i don't know that many people who are going to weigh on the side of the theatrical release or brazil brazil would be another good example i guess i don't know if you like brazil but like that you you kind of like i wonder how much we're moving into a world where you kind of get to pick which version of this um works works for you well, yeah. that's a, that's a, a lot of those cases uh, are a fight between the creative forces behind the movie and the money behind the movie, mm-hmm. right? And the and the money behind the movie thinks that it is also a creative force, and so you get this compromise thing, and that's why you have the whole concept of a director's cut. It's the studio made me do this, but really I wanted to do this. And Blade Runner is the the difficult case because it's like what the director wanted to do fundamentally changes the movie. And yeah. you could say also in a Shyamalani twist kind of way, but you could also say that that was always the structure and message of the movie. And by removing that or making it ambiguous or not having it there at all, you you are left thinking, well, what the hell was the point of all this? And you need the little unicorn. Uh, and then removing the voiceover is just, you know, not to insult the audience, right? But you need the little <laughs> unicorn to say, this is what I was, this is what, doesn't this, doesn't this color your viewing of this entire movie? This is what I was getting at. That's what this movie is about. This is the question this movie is raising. And the ultimate way to make you reconsider the questions raised in this movie is to have that unicorn to make you say, and also, by the way, Harrison Ford too. Now, how do you feel? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the version without that is like, well, is that you get to pick which version you like? Uh, the, the creators wanted to do something like, and again, like if you've read the, the, the Philip K. Dick story, mm-hmm. that had a whole different thing. It's pretty, movie, di- pretty different thing. Yeah. The movie had its thing and its thing was, messed up by someone else sticking their foot in and saying not because they thought they had a better message but because they wanted to sort of make it more palatable dumb it down make it more conventional or whatever or, you know make it make it less um less unequivocal is that what i want to say less less artsy fartsy for but, sure like this seems like kind of a thread for you uh, and i'll reveal myself here as a as a fan uh, you probably didn't know i'm a fan but like for example like in, when you talk about george lucas and you talked about the preservation of Star Wars movies on Hypercritical. I don't have the episode number in front of me. But, like, you made a really interesting and, I think, subtle uh, argument for saying, like, hey, look, this belongs to George Lucas. Let him go make market. I mean, the law is on his side. He can go and do whatever he wants in the marketplace with this. But isn't there a case to be made for getting one decent copy of the thing that we all saw in the theater? 
that that was, you know, regardless of, you know, it's almost yeah. like like GitHub. It's like you don't get to go back and just like act like we never had this version with bugs in it. Like yeah, uh, eventually it belongs to it belongs to the people more than it belongs to the creator. And like even though that's not legally true, it might like if I was making the laws, it would be like I would not yeah. copyright would not look the same as, you know, like especially something that is a cultural touchstone like Star Wars. Right. And I would even say that the original theatrical release of Blade Runner, that should certainly definitely exist. Like, I don't think that's true. It's not bad. Way. It's not right? bad at all. We all that's that's the movie we all saw and loved. It's like the opposite of the Star Wars prequels where like we saw this hobbled version of it and fell in love with it. And then when we saw another version later on, I mean, I think that was like the second or third uh, DVD I ever bought was the director's cut. I think Rushmore was probably the first one I ever bought and a Radiohead DVD after that. And then not long after that, the director's cut, like that was, you know, a whole new thing. But I guess what I'm getting at is like in this case, so it seems like you do have a a real interest in the primacy of like, here's the thing you put out. (laughs) Like this goes for so many things with you where it's like, well, you could have fixed that before you put it out, but this is the thing you put out. This is this is what the thing is, and like that's the thing in this case that that should be pre- be preserved in the case of Star Wars. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess I guess I'm just I don't know. I'm trying to just kind of prod around a little bit with like, well, so like for things for things like Fight Club, where you know the, what I come out of a movie with is often very different than what other people come out of a movie with, and but that's but that's what I'm hanging my hat on. That's what I treasure is. The movie, as I experienced it, uh, and it does it does kind of get back to it, like, would you be, uh, I would be disappointed to learn that what I think the movie was trying to say was not what the movie was trying to say at all. That I, that I blew it on the interpretation, or that I am sort of projecting and mapping intentions onto the creators of this piece of art that were absolutely not there, and in fact, they were trying to do the opposite, and I just missed it. That's bad, because it shows that I'm not... Uh, you know, I'm not interpreting the art as skillfully as I wanted to. That's bad because it makes me feel like I'm not simpatico with the people who made this thing or whatever. Uh, and it takes away from the experience because if you think it is a finely crafted experience to make you feel a certain way, um, but lots of other people or seemingly everyone else thinks it was a finely crafted experience to make you feel the exact opposite way, then... I want to think that I'm right, uh, and because if it was really the other way, then really it's like, oh, I think this thing was constructed to lead me here, and it was beautifully constructed to lead me here, and then you find out actually it was mm-hmm. constructed to lead you someplace entirely different. Then you feel like, oh, the thing is worse. Like well, I feel especially dumb when and it's the like, especially worse. when it's like, like there's only one of these interpretations that really can or should work. Where it's kind of a digital, like, well, it was either this or it was kind of right, the opposite like, of this. Like, you're not saying it's ambiguous or I like how it left this open. You're saying this is what this movie was trying to do, and it did it beautifully and successfully for me. I mean, this movie's that no one has any, you know, misinterpretation about, like, Superman, you know, like, the original, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what Superman's about. No one's coming away from that and thinking, like, you get into all obscure things, but it's like, it's Superman. He's a hero. He's yeah. a good guy. He saves the day. That's what the movie's about. No one's going to say, actually, this movie was trying to tell us that Superman is a bad guy. Nobody has that interpretation of Superman, except for the Man of Steel, obviously. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> that and so we all yeah, agree. But there's nothing. There's there's nothing in the text. There's nothing, as they say, as you see on the incomparable. There's nothing on the screen that's that right. equivocal. It, it's just so clear that mm-hmm. whether you think it was successful or not, this movie is trying to tell me that Superman's good. He's a good guy. He saves people. He's trying to do the right thing. Uh, that's that's this guy's story. And if someone says, actually, the people who made this movie, their entire goal was to make you think Superman was a terrible person. 
And you'd be like, well, what do you mean that was that? I don't get that at all. And they'd be like, yeah, like but, so, but people who are like reading against the grain, as they say. Right. And, and, and that's the type of thing where, you know, and then you see interviews with the creator and the creators say, we believe Superman is a good guy. Like everything points to the fact that they're trying to say Superman is a good guy in this movie. And so the one guy who thinks that actually, you know, it doesn't have anything to hang his hat on. But movies like Fight Club that are trying to sort of, you know, seductively mislead you and then twist the knife. And and show you the error of your ways, and the same way you know, like Goodfellas again is a better example. Where uh, I mean, it's the whole freaking arc of the movie is like, mm-hmm. uh, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a gangster, right? Why wouldn't you want to be a gangster? Look at the glamour, and then the glamour slowly crumbles and fades, and by the end of the movie, people are in meat lockers and there's a helicopter, and someone needs to be stirring the sauce, and it's like that just hammers you with like, oh, you like that beginning part was an exciting to be a gangster, but now let me put you into this world. How do you feel now? Are you cool and relaxed? You think it's awesome to be a gangster anymore? Like, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, but also, I mean, like, I w- wasn't going to say it earlier, but like that whole part of the movie, it's no less compelling than the early and middle part of the movie. And it's completely unflinching at like showing now the, the clothes look a little more shoddy. He's got bags under his eyes. But, you know, it's, it's not trying to turn it into this, cautionary tale exactly like you're still kind of rooting for henry a little bit yeah you oh you certainly are but it, but because it took you it's the boil and the frog thing it took you gradually right, through the right, whole right. thing a step and a step at a time and you're still with him like you identify so much with that but at a certain point you have to you have to think of like how the hell did we get here and it's like i know how we got here through a series of small steps that we just took you through and, and every step was exciting you under that's why the end of the movie like you know egg noodles and ketchup right you feel that you're like you know what this does kind of suck but then bang 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 joe pesci shooting the gun in your face you're slapped in the face and get you know uh moonstruck snap out of it right <laughs> was that a you look nice today reference that was not. I have snap that, out of it. Is, was that on an episode? It probably was. Yeah, twice. It was a, lo- a long time ago. That show was. Oh, God, you're killing me. Um, you don't. Do you have like a so silly? Help me out. You've got the you've got Godfather, Godfather Two, Godfather Three separate releases. Now, aren't there two different? Are there two different like tr- like? Um, there's a Godfather saga. Is that different? There's the Godfather. Is the Godfather saga the one that was on TV? What's the one where they added the scenes of like uh, Mike bumping off the guy who killed Apollonia? Like, wh- yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Where they they cut them they cut them together into this thing. I don't really acknowledge the existence of those at all. I have no interest in them. I don't have any copies of them in my wow, house. Wow, wow, I don't, wow, wow. Don't really? think those. No, I, 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 what I have in my house are I have the DVD and the Blu-ray of I forget what they're called, but it's three movies. One, two, three movies. I yeah. never watched the third one. Right. I just watched the first. I've still never seen it. <laughs> And the third one, I'm not going to say the third one gets a bad rap. I think if you wrote in broad strokes on a whiteboard the three bullet points of the plot of the third movie, like, this is where Michael is when we find him, this is what happens in the middle of the movie, and this is how it ends, you'd be like, oh, I can see that. Sure. Like, I think it's not a bad arc for a final movie. I think the final scene in Godfather 3 is not too terrible. Everything else that happens in between, (laughs) like the details, the the indented bullet points in the outline, (laughs) not great. And so, and because the other two movies are so amazing and stand on their own so beautifully, uh, I just pretend that third one doesn't exist. I might be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure it was almost definitely the first Blu-ray I bought. And maybe the reason I bought a Blu-ray player was for the... Oh my God! We find <laughs> we did a 4K scan of this and and got a decent copy of this with all the noise that makes the nerds mad. That that version, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. 
man. I mean, and and then and those those documentaries. It's, it's are so, so good. it's so hilarious, like to to have like a high res Blu-ray. It's just like this is the highest definition film grain you're ever going to see in your life. Right? <laughs> you, you think you've seen film grain, but have you really seen the film grain? There's grain between the grain that you haven't seen. It's really, really there. It's the 70s, man. That's what it's supposed to look like. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Hover.com. Hover is quite simply the best way to buy and manage domain names. If you're doing it any other way, you are living like an animal. Because Hover gives you exactly what you need to find the perfect domain name for your new idea. And then they take all the hassle and confusion out of getting that name registered simply, safely, securely, and privately. Of course, as you would expect, Hover has all the top-level domains you'd expect. They have the classics, .com, .net, .co, .me. But they also have all of those terrific new crazy TLDs you've been hearing about, .buzz, .poker, .farm, and yes... You can even buy domain names ending in .coffee. At Hover, there are no mystery meet upsells or creepy add-ons. You get a smart control panel. Plus, get this. Who is privacy is always added free of charge to your domain if it supports it. That means that you keep your information to yourself just as it should be. Hover even offers a free valet transfer service, so you can skip the hassle of trying to move your domain names from wherever they're currently registered. Some registrars, maybe somewhat infamously, make that difficult to do. They will help you with that. All you need to know is that Hover takes your work and your business very seriously. It shows in everything they do. If you ever need help, don't worry. Pick up the phone, because Hover has the best customer support around. They have a no-wait, no-hold, no-transfer phone service. That means when you call for help, an actual biped will pick up the phone and speak with you to get you whatever you need. It's the best. Dig around some more. You'll find that Hover has so much great stuff. They have volume discounts for bulk domain renewals, custom email addresses, storage and forwarding. It's all in there from a company that you can really trust. So if you're in the market for some sweet new domains or you're ready to move your current domain someplace where they treat you more like a grown-up professional, please give Hover a try. In fact, you can get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for our program by going to Hover.com and using the very special offer code CORRECTIONS at checkout. CORRECTIONS. Our thanks to Hover for making pretty much everything about domain names a breeze and for supporting reconcilable differences. Well, so the sports thing, you uh, express frustration and annoyance with with people who are super into sports, uh, organized sports, because you are not into organized sports and everything in the culture, this is my interpretation, everything in the culture is always bombarding you with the uh, with organized sports the people who like it and it's serving their needs and and catering to what they want to see and because you're not participating in that it feels overwhelming and so you take digs at people who are into organized sports do you disagree with any uh, anything i've said so far i think that's um passable I, i i would add more color to that but but that's passable yeah i mean it's not how different is it like do i hate apple do i hate apple products no I don't. I hate the ridiculous, I don't hate, I uh, dislike the ridiculous amount of pressure that is put upon uh, me as somebody who has used Apple products for a generation to always try to find the bright side of every Apple story. That drives me crazy. The the reluctance of my friends who, if they are using iCloud, have to be having some problems with iCloud, even though they say they never had a problem with iCloud. Like the fact that they're publicly lying about that makes me very, very frustrated. 
And it makes me feel like that, that, you know, that that's the kind of thing where like, yeah, that does drive me crazy with the sports stuff. Yeah, I feel like it's I feel like it's 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 one thing to go out and enjoy your sports ball and like have a really strong opinion about like what city a company owns a team in, like whatever. That's your gig. But like the ridiculous amount of pressure to have a strong opinion about that it makes me crazy. And the pressure exists just because the so many other people. This is so important. Pretty much everybody. Right, and because there are so many other people for whom this is so important, they are a target demographic that advertisers want, that like that the localities want, that your city's going to give some. That's like calling oxygen a target element. Yeah, they, like there's going to be some ridiculous loan that your city's going to give to build this giant stadium, and that it's just yeah. And because you're not into that, it seems like a sideshow. Now, this I think sports culture and organized sports. I think we can separate from the sports themselves I, I i would i mean at the risk of being reductive i would grossly separate the playing of sports organized or otherwise from sports culture yeah they're just i don't have a single problem in the world with sports as something where people exert themselves with points it's sports culture that i have a problem with yeah so i, I think i've said on uh, another earlier podcast that i can't remember uh describe sports as the, the socially either the or a probably a well, I don't know. Uh, a socially acceptable outlet for xenophobia. That is the function of organized sports in for for the most part. It's half of it. Right? Uh, no. It's like xen- xen- xenophobia means the stock market. It's two things you have very little stake in and a very strong opinion about. Right. Not not even just professional sports. It's like, why do sports exist at all? Because, so xenophobia is a thing. Like, fear of the mm-hmm. other. Uh, fear, fear Tribalism, yeah. Fear, fear, that, is, that is a thing that you can imagine having an important function in mankind surviving as long as it has because if you band together in a group uh, and you want to stay alive long enough to reproduce you should probably defend yourself against the other group because they might want to take your stuff or kill you or eat you or take your women or whatever it is you're going to be like you know what i mean and so xenophobia has has a purpose it is not just like a bad thing like oh you like people who are you dislike people who are different than you why do you dislike people who are different you because all the people who didn't dislike people who are different than them had a ever so slightly smaller chance of surviving to reproductive age or an ever so slightly smaller chance of of making their children survive to reproductive age. And so there's far fewer of them now. So now we are, uh, than there are of us. So we are people, the entire planet, people who who have xenophobia baked into their genetic structure. It's like competition as a survival, survival skill. Like we all need to be in it to win it. Right, and you, and and in particular, anybody that is different, and this is like the roots of racism too. Anybody that is different in any way, they look different. You, they act different than you. They butter their toast on a different side. They are standing in a different group than you. Mm-hmm. They are from the north side of the mountain, not the south side. Like, doesn't matter what it is, <laughs> xenophobia. Like, why do we have that reaction? Because it, because it, it is and was a useful thing, right? But xenophobia, like again, getting to racism modern man in our enlightened era realizes that xenophobia is a feeling that can lead to lots of very bad things. Uh, But we all have it in us. We need a socially acceptable outlet for xenophobia. How can I give an outlet for my hatred of the other in a way that does not actually hurt other people or, you know, like in a way that is not slavery, institutionalized racism or sexism or like whatever else you want to call it or even just like, you know, Something that is socially acceptable and non-destructive. Uh, sports is the best we've found because we we don't need much to hang your hat on. We just need, all right, 
they're the blue team, they're the green team, they're the Yankees, they're the Mets. You're both, you're both New York teams. Both of your stadiums are within miles of each other. There's really no difference between these teams at all except for the different people on them. Uh, can you guys hang your head on that and pour all of your fear and hatred of the other into this completely arbitrary manufactured distinction between two, two groups of people uh, who will change over the years and play in different stadiums for different coaches? For different, like, and, and the answer from humanity is, hell yes, we can hang our hat on that. Right. Uh, and it can manifest in, it can get back to the old way with like the soccer hooliganism where it's like, is this a socially acceptable outlet for xenophobia or is this just xenophobia where people are beating each other with crowbars in the stadium because of their football team didn't do well or whatever so it can get back to the other thing but in america for the most part lots of passion and uh enthusiasm and bad and good feelings get dumped into these buckets that are completely arbitrary and and nonsensical yeah, arbitrary that's the word yeah yeah and and you don't like it doesn't need to be, you know, and it's like, well, that's not xenophobia. Like, Mets versus Yankees isn't xenophobia. They're, they're I like, think xenophobia is a strong word. I think, but I think it is precisely the right word because we have this. Do you think it's better than tribalism? Yes, because tribalism is like, it's more like a, a positive thing of like, these are my people, right? And I'm, I'm with my people and those are your people. Xenophobia mm. is like, the other is frightening and must be defeated. Well, and the, the other is a, is a, a clear and present threat. Right, and like I, I will never be a Mets fan. I will mm. only ever be a Yankees fan. The Mets are terrible, and I you don't understand how much better. Let me explain to you at length how much better the Yankees are than the Mets. It is not you don't understand. This is not just a distinction where you butter your toast on one side. No, 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 no. <laughs> right, it right. is much deeper than that. And let me explain to you why the Yankees are America's team. And <laughs> and you're just lucky you found somebody who's patient enough to explain this to you. <laughs> right, and <laughs> the Cowboys. Right, and and, and it, I hate that company. And so it harnesses all this thing that the humans have inside them in a way yeah. that is non-destructive to society, and in fact is mostly constructive because you can sell lots of <laughs> merchandise and you can go to a ball game and enjoy it. You feel good when your team wins and the other team isn't dead, and you feel bad when your team loses. And uh, and if you examine it intellectually, it makes no sense. And for some people. When they examine it intellectually, it all crumbles apart. Because when you're a kid, you can go along with it because your family is an X fan or whatever. And sometimes when you get a little bit older, you say, you know what? What the heck are we even a fan of? All the players that that used to be on this team are gone or traded. The coach is different. They play in a different stadium. They have different uniforms. They're like, what is it that I have an allegiance to? Like, And they changed the name of the team, by the way. Like, you know, what? what is it that I even – what's left? Like, it's the uh, – what is that thing where uh, – you replace every part of the car is it still the same car or whatever. Like that's, that's sports. But, but for other people, it's like, I don't care. Like this is, this is, I'm going to hang my hat on this. It's a pastime. It is, it is non-destructive. It is a socially acceptable outlet for xenophobia. Um, and that's, that's hmm. team sports. And I think that is a good thing because I think we do need outlets for our bad <laughs> instincts to channel them into something constructive. Next, next week, uh, John makes a case for, for panty shots in anime. Well, I mean, the, a, you, it supplements a need, right? You've seen the the studies about how you know free access to porn is like you know it can help channel things that could go in a worse direction. We should save that one and put that on the list. I, 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 I want, I want, want to. Uh, <laughs> you don't even want it in there. Um, I have to really uh, kind of hugely agree in one part and really disagree on another. I don't think it's xenophobia. I think it is tribalism, and I think there's a huge difference um, because. Uh, well, first of all, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cynical for a minute because, you know, it's, it's our show. Um, I remember, um, like I say, I went to a very small college 
with, you know, again, you kind of remember, in 1986, 520 people go to this school. So there's all kinds of limitations in terms of, like, you think about, like, how many alumni are there. There's, like, only so many alumni. There's only, you know, so much stuff. But, like, at our, at our college store, you could still buy a new college hat or a new college shirt or, or whatever. And I, I don't know. I just I feel like I remember having this kind of breakthrough moment uh, where I was kind of realizing, like, there's not actually a factory a new college factory that's owned and operated by new college where new college items are made. There's a factory that just makes a whole bunch of stuff and puts different names on it. And no more than like a, a, a kid in like whatever Bangladesh would care about like what color this gap shirt was. There's that company doesn't care what's on that shirt. Like it's, it's a company that makes stuff. And like, you know, it's, I don't know if you ever heard that uh, episode of, what was it? Was it 99% Invisible or Radiolab? There's the episode about, um, as parodied on The Simpsons, where, like, there was this guy who sold, like, the same song about how great your city is to all these different cities. Did you ever hear that story? Like, everything's great in Calgary. Everything's great. It sounds great. familiar from The Simpsons, but I yeah, definitely Yeah, right, right. But yet. that's a true story. There's a guy who sold this to, like, 200 cities, which is slightly different lyrics. So... I guess I do feel like, you know, and I'm going to, I'm just, I got to be cynical about this. Like these are giant companies uh, where you go in and agree to invest in which giant company you're going to side with. And, you know, that's just how it is. And, you know, people will move from team to team. Like if you can get past all that stuff and just go, hey, you know what? This is just fun. Like, you know, I was a giant pro wrestling fan in the 80s. And like more recently, I've kind of gotten back into it again. I watched WrestleMania this year. I was like, uh, I was, I was really into like some of these characters with the full awareness. Like these are written things, and I'm really enjoying this. And that tribalism is really fun. In the same way that you would like, you know, root for the bad guy or boo when the Hamburglar shows up. Like, but you know, when you accept that that is a childlike simplicity and a kind of play that you're watching, that can be very enjoyable. Did you see the video from the son of the famous director of 80s movies? What the hell was this? Kung name? Fury? No. Oh. Uh, the one about wrestling. And what is the, what is the sun? I've seen many. Just so you know, John, I've seen many wrestling documentaries. Just so no, you know. no, no. It was it was a recent one? I, I will. I have to look this up now. Uh, well, find it, find it for me. But I mean, like you know, I I can watch this and go like I I I I cannot believe that guy just fell off a cage from thirty feet. Like I can watch Daniel Bryan and go like I know this is a bit, but like this guy is so fun. It's so great. And, but I you know, in the entire time, I I feel like I'm very aware that it's a bit. I would never lose track of the fact that there's a company that wrote that and that this is a bit like, you know, it's, that's okay. That's like part of the entertainment. That's, that's all totally fine. Um, and this is where we shade back into fight club, I guess, because like, I don't want to sound like insulting to my friends, but like, it's sort of like, you know, you get really into buying this branded hat and this brand, like, like we have, we have friends who would go out and buy era official caps for a team that would never in a million years buy something because it had Nike on it. Like, that's so quotidian. That's so, like, whatever, hot topic to go out and buy something with a logo on it, unless it's your team. And this is why I distinguish xenophobia from tribalism. Xenophobia is a naturally negative thing that says people who are different from me are, without in, without needing any reason, all I need to know as a xenophobe is that different is bad. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's tribalism. Because the way I turned a corner on understanding sports and sports culture um, just, you know, to, to be straight up is like when I understood that it's really about family, like for a lot of people, sports is about family. It's about memory. It's about tradition. 
Is that heavily leveraged by all these awful, awful companies that participate in this industry? You bet it is. But that's really true. So I learned to realize, like, I'm not going to rag on sports because it sounds like I'm really ragging on your dead dad when I do that. Like, I'm ragging on your memory of something that you'll never have again. And, like, just because that happens to be sponsored by Coca-Cola and garlic fries, like, you, I want you to still have that thing to yourself. What I reject is you trying to make me feel bad because I'm in the 0.0001% that occasionally pops up to go, you guys know this is just a business, right? You guys know you are just, you are just arguing over pro wrestlers. And it's, well, that's a fun thing. Enjoy that, but stop acting like I need to feel bad about not thinking that's like the most important thing in the world. So I think I differ from you here because me describing it as a socially acceptable outlet for xenophobia is not a way for me to say sports is bad and you shouldn't like sports. Uh, it's just a way to explain why sports... Uh, why we have such an attraction to sports, why it is so universally beloved, basically, right. why sports have always existed, people have been attracted for it, what function does it serve in society? Like, uh, what is that that quote? Uh, what, what, are the, what is the work of dogs in your country? Like, why why do sports exist as a thing? Why have they lasted so long? That it, 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 it fulfills a, a certain very important role. You, you think it's bread and circuses. You, you think it's like a, a sublimation of a very natural it's not, violent it, impulse well it's that's that's all government is all, all any sort of organized structure is like there are there are instincts and drives that we have genetically speaking some of which we have decided because our our brain has evolved are lead to bad outcomes we don't want to live in the world where this happens because overall it makes us more miserable uh, as a, as a group than not. So we have to devise a system where there's places for all these things we have to go. And when they go in those places, they make things, if not better than at least neutral instead of being worse. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the, the, we're trying to structure all of our laws, every, all of our society, all of our rules to say these things exist. Uh, and if you don't give them someplace to go, uh, it's going to be bad. And if you do give them someplace to go, best case, you can give them someplace to go where they will actually have a huge positive outcome. Um, and I think sports is a great example of that because I think net net sports is a huge positive and the way they hmm. have, have channeled tribalism or xenophobia or whatever into sports, they've attached it at the hip to something that I think is just a universal positive. Um, and as, as a fan of sports, this is what I get from sports. It may, you know, I, I'm more into individuals in sports than I am, uh, teams. Uh, but that's just me. But like, Sports is a, a beautiful thing. If uh, you'll talk to anybody who has ever played a sport in any capacity, watching other human beings, the best people who are, are the best at the world at doing this thing that you yourself have tried to do, never gets old. If you have thrown a baseball, if you know what it's like to try to hit a curveball, if you've tried to hit a jump shot, if you have played tennis before in your entire life, watching somebody do that, watching somebody control their body, Mm -hmm. in a way that you you can appreciate exactly how difficult it is to do the thing that they're doing that never gets old like and so i watch for entire michael jordan's career i watched like i watched his career when he retired i realized i was not a basketball fan i was a michael jordan fan right because that's what i wanted to see and in tennis well, like, like the same way you might be like a nureyev fan like you may not love every ballet that was ever made, but you can appreciate the grace and athleticism of this one person. Right, and I played basketball, so I appreciate the, the sport overall. But 
I was more drawn to the individual and with tennis players or whatever. And it's similar with baseball or any other team sport is that there'll be a couple players that come along. And I mean, I just really think that everybody can appreciate that. Even if, I guess, even if you've never played the sport, appreciate, it's like the Olympics. Why do people like to watch the Olympics? So they don't know anything about the shot put or the long jump or whatever. They don't care. It's like, I want to see the pinnacle of human achievement, mm. right? In mm. competition, and it, we don't want it to be the Christians being thrown to the lions. We don't want it to be actual executions or gladiator battles. We've evolved to the point where we want to see people excelling in, in a physical way. And that has been tied in organized sports to those negative things that we need an outlet for. And so I think that's great. And I, I, I it, it totally explains why everybody seems to like sports. And it, I think they are serving an important function to harness this what could be negative energy attaching it to something that is just massively positive uh with the exception of head injuries in football and stuff like that there are some side mm-hmm. effects that go off the rails there and boxing for that matter uh you know and and making it an overall good for society and when i you know everyone gets something different from sports even the people who are like i'm just a diehard uh, Yankees fan and I always will be and those type of people like as soon as you leave the Yankees and go to another team I hate you now even if you were my favorite player before <laughs> right like that's you know everyone needs some kind of hobby and if that's your hobby if your hobby is watching sports and yelling at the screen that is better than the alternative of you uh, wandering the neighborhood with sticks <laughs> looking for well, people who are not okay, like you but like how, how do you well, I'm trying to understand the the phrase you used, I think you at some point said positive. Like, okay, so I I could get your case for saying s- organized sports and sports culture are useful as a xenophobia and hate sink. What makes it positive? Like beyond just being neutral in helping people from wanting to kill people for no reason, like what is the positive impact? Of well, that? so one is, you know, a thing of beauty is a joy forever, right? Watching watching people, humans perform. Don't at the you quote Keats to me? At, at, the, at, the, at the peak of their uh, at the peak of their ability. <laughs> Uh, is uh, you, you can it's like looking at anything beautiful it makes you feel good oh, to see oh come it, on right? fast and loose really no i'm serious yes like the, the, so like makes, the the, the, right, the, the uh, person who who like stops short of punching somebody because they don't like the cowboys is like just that's just well but that's that's a separate thing i'm saying one it brings <sighs> sports brings people joy all right so that's one aspect all right the other aspects of it are, you know, I mean, they're, they're organizational. Sports bring, and... bring the joy or the culture brings the joy? Because I think you're talking about different things. If you're talking about the way you feel to be at, a, at like a cookout with people who arbitrarily hate a different city for the same reason versus like enjoying the way this guy caught this ball with one hand, that's so different. Well, but, you, but you're also, I mean, you're also enjoying the fact, that, I mean, the, the other aspect of it is that you are... They are your designated representatives for giving you a feeling of triumph. When your team wins, mm-hmm. I think for the most part, people are excited that their team won more than they are like smugly satisfied that the other team lost. That 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 you feel like you won, even though you didn't have anything to do with this game, right? You're right. just sitting on your couch eating chips. That you feel like I mean, just when well, I mean, when you're the, wearing the jersey, right? Well, when when the, when the best thing is in tennis matches where people in the stands are all dressed in their tennis clothes, just in case you know, stand-up communities have made this joke before, <laughs> but it is hundred percent true. Just in case one of them pulls an ankle and they say, "You there in the crowd," and you're like, "Oh, I've got my shoes and shorts. I'm ready to go." Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like it's like in Boston when like the Red Sox finally won the World Series, like or, or the Patriots are like, if you live here, you could mute your TV and go out your front door and listen and hear. Like you could hear people in their houses yelling and screaming and cheering, right? Just in the suburbs, even, right? That we all felt like we won. 
that is giving everybody an, a, a positive feeling. And what what's the downside of that? The downside, I guess, is you go outside and riot and turn cars over and you know do all that. Reason. But that is a, 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 a tiny fraction of things. In general, being able to, especially since like sports and like the NFL does its best, are structured in a way that every team gets a chance to win. Like the communism, the NFL spreading the money around so that it's not like one team is going to dominate forever and everyone else feels like a loser forever. Although maybe like Pittsburgh feels like that or something. But anyway, like to, to try to give everyone a chance to win and to get that feeling of triumph that they're not going to get probably, you know, we are the world champions. You're not the world champion at your job. Who's we? We are the world champions. Mm-hmm. We who? We Yankees fans? Sure. Yes. Now, I for, for one moment, for one day, I feel like and I get to wear my Yankees, you know, World Series championship T-shirt into the office or whatever. That's giving people a positive feeling. And then, of course, there's the plain old, you know, commerce. It's giving some people a place to go on the weekend with their kids to enjoy a baseball. It's all that, you know, fatherly type stuff. You think of all the things that you can do with your parents that you will forever associate with them that, yeah. you know, it, the one I brought up on, a, I think it was on a hypercritical maybe, was like, I feel so terrible for the people whose important great memories of their parents are tied in with like firearms right not that firearms are bad necessarily but right. there are there are many more negative you know if you oh if that's you, that's you you anytime somebody tries to go after the second amendment folks without realizing that they are they're going yeah into because a, they're going it, into it, a gunfight with a very dull knife like you you know my father taught me to shoot absolutely I went hunting with yeah. my dad like the whole nine yards and it's like you can't ever take that away from that person because that's what it's tied to. Even if you try to explain to them, that's all well and good, but we think it's still better for you not to have a gun in your house because statistically speaking, the most likely thing that's going to happen with that gun is one of your kids is actually going to shoot themselves. A lot of people like guns more than math. And yeah, it's like, but, but see, what you're, what you're weighing is like, okay, here are some statistics that you may or may not believe, and here is your entire emotional attachment to your family. And right. so weigh those and see which one comes out on top. Like yep. it's not even a contest, right? Um, and so if you are going to be emotionally attached to something, the the downsides of being a Yankees fan that are much lower for for society overall and for you know the community you live in and for everything than having those memories attached to something that may also have lots tons of positives, you know. Hunting, gun ownership, the whole culture surrounding that. Tons of positives about that. There's just this unfortunate downside and unintended side effects that are also attached with that. You really don't want to, you know, that, that it's a shame that, that that bad stuff is attached to the positive and it's difficult to have a conversation with it. Whereas sports, there are negatives attached as well, where like, you know, communities are destroyed by these giant companies coming in and putting in a big stadium and bankrupting the city and what it does to you know and then of course riots and all those other things you could probably you know there are there are negatives and uh to organize sports into the corporations behind them and to the government providing the monopolies and to have these leagues and all that other stuff but but net net i think it is uh overall a positive mm-hmm. yeah i disagree you i think it's overall negative well, dude, I'm, I'm, I will cede you the point on Fight Club. I'm going to go home if we ever finish this podcast. <laughs> I'll go home and watch it again. I uh, no, I've been listening patiently, but I, I completely disagree um, because um, I don't know. I think this one, you know, here's <laughs> here's what I'm, I'm struggling to say is like I don't have any uh, problem with somebody enjoying virtually anything. You know, like if you like sports, I think that's great. Like if you, and in fact, you know, my my family had original season tickets to the Cincinnati Bengals starting from like 1970. I mean, my mom had those to like 1990. My parents went to so many Bengals games, so many Steelers games, and it was a huge part of my growing up. Like that's that's all great, but like 
I mean, my God, what I mean, like, at what point can can we just get to a point where we realize that there are there there is something <laughs> uh, there's some separations to be made, like just you know, in my case, like just because. And I, you know, and in some ways, I hope you have a little sympathy here as somebody who felt a little bit picked on for liking nerdy stuff. Like, I think there's something that's really gross about the amount of pressure that's put on people that, you know, just the constant, I mean, like, in my case, I get, I get on Muni and, like, everybody's wearing the jerseys. It's, like, this whole thing. And, like, you're meant to feel like you're, like, this perfidious beast because you're you're like don't have an opinion about the sports team. It's don't like, you feel, don't you, I feel this way. I feel like the way that, I imagine, all right, say you land in like a a convention and it's a convention full of people who are really into, I don't know, Doctor, I'm trying to think of something we're not into, but like, you know, Doctor Who. Battlestar Galactica, like something you like, but you're not super into. Or, you know, something that seems like stamp collecting. That's a good one. All right. Stamp collecting convention. And you wander into that in the convention center and there's a bunch of people who are just like super into stamps. And they are talking about them, and they are comparing them, and they are laughing with each other, and they're wearing their stamp T-shirts. You don't give a damn about stamps, but don't you feel like it's nice that these people have a place where they can hang out with other people who are enthusiastic? It's it's beyond nice. I've been on a Jonathan Colton cruise. I've seen that at a micro and macro level in a way that would be difficult to articulate. Seeing two people, two people like connect over the most impossibly obscure thing you've ever seen in your life is is a life-changing experience but that's not what we're talking about when we're right talking but now we're doing the opposite where it's not like you wander into a convention where that's happening that's happening every wander into an arena where people are chanting no. that's never a good sign well not not the so much the arena is that is that it is not like oh it's nice that these people found each other they don't have to find each other they are everywhere they're they are they're blanketing the earth and you are the little island of well actually i'm not that into that and then it starts to reverse, and you would hope that, like, this is what you're talking about, like, do those people ever look at you and sit and sort of turn their nose up at you or look down at you or see you as a freak or pick on you or whatever because you don't share the, the, the mass enthusiasm? Um, I haven't experienced that that much with regard to sports fandom. With regards to sports performance, I've seen that happen, although not really to me. But, you know, like, oh, you are you are clumsy and you are not, you know, you're picked on because you're mal-coordinated. Right. But but not so much like you don't have a favorite baseball team. Maybe that can marginalize you when you're a kid to like that you wouldn't have a common thing to talk about besides the weather with people because they all want to talk about sports. But I found, because I'm not that into team sports, and like I said, around here, you know, you just meet some random person and they'll say, how about those Patriots or whatever. Mostly I just try to... I recognize their enthusiasm and I just try to go along with it. Occasionally I reveal that I know nothing about whatever that is they're talking about and they get a disappointed look on their face, but they don't think they look down on me for it. Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like, do you feel judged as, as this, uh, as this person who doesn't have any allegiances and isn't into it? Do oh, you... it's, it's, it's incredibly complicated in many ways because it's, um, you know, it's, I, I don't, I don't like any situation where I'm expected to have an extremely strongly held position about almost anything. Expected, right? Like if I like I have really strongly held positions about some really important things, some really flimsy things. Like but you know, it doesn't matter. That's that's my personal preference. Who cares? Like I would never like go into a taxi cab and start asking somebody how they feel about the latest iteration of a deodorant. But like cuz that would be kind of weird and like who does that? 
but like, but you know, dude, I have the Jersey, you know, and like this company that I'm really into, like it's just, I, anything where I'm expected to show like my bona fides by having, by agreeing to some kind of ongoing back and forth, um, drives me crazy. And it's like, what I'm trying to avoid is turning into like that atheist guy, you know, because <laughs> I don't want to sound like that. I don't want to sound like atheist guy, but I do feel like there's an extraordinary amount of cultural pressure to like weigh in on this. And the, the thing is, like, like we said a couple episodes ago, um, you know, not having an opinion is, is, I guess it becomes an opinion. It's just that what, what I feel like, I don't know, it just bugs me. Stuff like when my kid is like expected to wear like San Francisco Giants team colors to school on a Friday, that's fine. If she's into it, like whatever. But it's weird to me that there's an email about that that we're, we're expected to, to join in that particular tribalism. Like what I'm trying to say is like whatever any individual wants to do is really okay and can be really beautiful. Like whatever your individual thing is or whatever your family thing is, that's all fine. I just think we're talking about something very different on a lot of levels. We're talking about an extraordinary amount of cultural pressure to participate in this certain kind of, of business that uh, that is a business. I mean, it's like the lottery without money, basically, to like go and participate in all this stuff. You would go laugh at all those morons in mobile homes who watch pro wrestling, but you you would think nothing of like leaving your job early to go get the bobblehead night at the stupid stadium. It's like I, that, I wouldn't laugh at either of those things, but like it, it's. I, but the but you know what, dude? Here's what I'm trying to say though: is like whatever you want to do, you being whomever, like that's that's totally fine. But like I don't have anybody to yell at about how much. I am not into it and how much I think the uh, the net effect that this has on our culture is not nearly as positive as you think it is. I And I, I have to continue to say, I don't think it's xenophobia. I think it's tribalism. I think it's different. I think it's dangerous and dumb in a different way than xenophobia is. And the thing is, like, I, I, I don't want to get into an argument with people about that. I don't like being in arguments with people, but I just, I think it's really, I think it's really strange how much pressure there is on us to have these alliances ab- about sports it's just it's but, so weird to me so for the for the companies making money out of it like i i feel like that is the cause and effect is the reverse so that that there is this going to be this thing and companies attach on it lamprey like and realize we can leverage this to make money like yeah. that, that is not that is not a manufactured <laughs> they, they thing realize that like after it's been a going concern for 50 years to go hey let's let's go ahead and make a buck from this no but i mean like you know like uh, Long, long term, you know, thousands of years or whatever. It's like, look, people are going to want this thing. It's just like, you know, how, how did you figure out you can sell food to people? Because people need food. Mm-hmm. You can sell mm-hmm. it. It's a thing you can do. You can sell clothes or whatever. You can also run organized sports because people are always going to want this and you can make money off of it. You don't have to manufacture this need. You don't have to convince people to become tribal or whatever. They're going to. So someone's going to make money off it. It might as well be you. Like that, hmm. that it's not the evil corporations influencing us to be i didn't say they're evil i said they're corporations well i know but you know what i mean like it's not it's 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 the other i don't the cause and effect of relationship is is the opposite this these things are going to happen and the in a capitalist society in the same way that you can sell clothes and services to mow your lawn someone's gonna do organized sports whether it has to be a government sanctioned monopoly for everything whether Mm -hmm. that helps or hurts i don't know but uh i view it because i view it as a net positive i think the government sanctioned monopoly and everything might actually help things along i don't know much about the uk soccer culture and the local teams and the premier league or whatever but it seems like they have more problems with that stuff turning violent over there than we do over here maybe it's because they're all crammed onto those damn little islands over there. i don't know <laughs> anyway um i've always felt that my 
lack of interest in the most popular organized sports when I've had interactions with people like you said like oh this cultural pressure to pick a side or whatever as soon as it becomes clear that I'm not into that thing I'm basically viewed as a non-combatant and I've never been sort of you know what I mean like maybe a little bit of emasculating like oh you're not a manly man if you're not a sport but very little in my experience like you were just out of the equation oh all right, well then you know maybe it's like they're talking to a girl We'll just thought yeah. we'll talk about something else. But but like whatever it is, like I'm just I'm a non-combatant. I'm yep. out of the thing. Yep. But but in this, but I can also you know do like the tourism thing. Like I will go to a baseball game with friends, and I will pick a team, and I will root for them, and have a good time at the thing. I don't really care one way or the other. It's just fun to go to a game. It and is. Root it's for a lot. A it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Right, and and then, uh, you know, I there. I think there is a very. I don't want to call it like anti-authoritarian or whatever. There's a very strong streak in you that is uh hyper vigilant on guard for the for the worst uh aspects of humanity as a group which is sort of mob mentality anti-intellectualism anything that looks like it could be leading in that direction again these are also instincts <laughs> the sound of drums and tubas yeah <laughs> these are also instincts <laughs> that we have right uh that are very maybe that's why you, you like watching all the world war ii documentaries all the time because like here here is how this stuff can go awry and on the grandest possible scale so you are on the lookout for anything that might even hint at that in any way and are suspicious of it and want to avoid it and think it is it could possibly lead to to worse things and i agree with most of that except that like i said you're not going to that stuff's going to be there you need to find some kind of shape for society and laws and institutions to find a place yeah. for that stuff to go so it doesn't lead to triumph of the will. I you guess. should. I don't know. Oh my God. I, this is the weakest argument you've ever presented. I, I, I appreciate you're making it. You should be making this with John Roderick because I think between the two of you, you could turn neighborhood stick fights into something that was very profitable. <laughs> neighborhood stick fights. Like the reason that's, I assume the reason people think that's funny is that we've all. It's a funny phrase. That's just a funny in, phrase. Have you participated in neighborhood stick fights? No, I've done sword fights involving branches. I'm not an animal. Neighborhood stick fights. I don't know if he's talking about the same thing. This was the thing. You bring a stick. Whatever stick you can find, you can bring. It has to be smaller than your wrist. Large group of boys, usually. And there would be a bunch of us. Mm -hmm. And lines would be drawn between one group and the other for no reason. Maybe geographic or whatever. And all the boys would pick up sticks. Which are not baseball bats. You're not going to kill anybody with a stick. Most likely the stick will No, I think it's got to be smaller than your wrist. That's critical. And you have it's it's war on a small scale where the stakes are higher than a game of tag, but lower than life, death, or major injury. And that stick fights was sort of like when you see puppies uh, jumping all over each other and and play biting at each other to whatever function that people think that serves when puppies play with each other and jockey for position or whatever. That's what neighborhood stick fights are. Uh, I think neighborhood stick fights are not as constructive an outlet for all these bad things in people as sports are. I don't know why you're not convinced by my completely airtight argument about the positive effects of sports, but it's it's clear that you experience more you you experience more negative feelings about your non-engagement in these activities than I do. Like that that I you know because we were probably equally non-combatants. Although I don't know what did you did you play any sports? Yes, I played sports, and I'm t- ah, God damn it! I, 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 like organized sports. Yes, and I I I, I really disagree with you. I'm I'm not. I feel like I'm making a, a terrible. I'm doing doing a terrible job of trying to make like what seems like a really obvious 
uh, kind of argument. Um, I, I see all your arguments. I think it's just a matter of degree. Like, because I'm coming out net positive, saying there's bad aspects and there's good, and you're coming out net negative, saying I, I, see, I disagree. I, see. I think I think everything you're coming up with is well. I mean, you know, how do you prove that negative though? How do you how do you prove that like those those cookouts and you know and and forty dollar hats you know kept people from getting beat up? Like, where's the evidence for that? I mean, is it in the door receipts? Is it in the fact that the 49ers, the San Francisco 49ers, have a football stadium that's 42 miles from our city? <laughs> we have our stadium. Yeah, at least it's Levi's in the same stadium state. is the, closer the Giants to San are in Jose. New Jersey. What's that? At least it's in the same state. The Giants are in New Jersey. Oh, you know, you know what the Dodgers did? They broke our hearts by moving out to uh, Los Angeles. They didn't break your heart. Sure, they did. I love sports. <laughs> you kidding me? It's all about family. Oh, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. It's like, okay, so, you know. Like oh this is you're saying this is an this is an outlet for bad things that could happen. Well, see, it's the ultimate ultimate slippery slippery. How do I prove that the bad things didn't happen? Well, it's part of it, but it's also this ultimate like slippery weasel argument of like no 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 this no 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 that. It's like well no 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 what like you know (laughs) there's no quantifiable quantifiable benefit from letting these businesses come in run the town and like okay so fine from a business standpoint that's great you get tax breaks it's a good thing like you know (laughs) and again I have to always just bracket like whatever you're into is fine it's just like i hope you guys will tell me when you feel like i'm speaking to you personally and making you feel bad about what you're not participating in in the culture because i get so much i get so much pressure we all get so much pressure from everybody telling us which parts of the culture we need to actively change not whether it's good or bad but like no 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 seriously you need to do this differently and if your case is that like we're preventing lynchings by having stadiums, like I'd love to see some numbers on that because I don't think it's true. I think it's exactly the same kind of tribalism and, as you say, xenophobia that leads to those same kinds of feelings. I'm not, I'm not saying baseball causes lynching. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I can't prove that. I don't have the numbers. But I, I don't think it brings out our better angels. I really, I really don't. I would flip it around and say, like, I don't think you have, uh, you got to do the country lawyer voice because I can't do it, have, have uh, proven that the, have delineated the negative effects. What are the negative effects of this? You're saying, and, and again, it's, it that's not, it's the that's same not how time. it works, John. The, uh, the call always favors the runner. You, 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 sorry, you don't know about sports, do you? Yeah, I do. I know enough. <laughs> But yeah, no, like, like, like you, you have, you've, uh, you're a negative reaction. I don't have anything. Like, I don't have to the, prove anything. The, the, the you have, you, you have to you prove feel... your shoddy case that somehow the bread and the circuses are going to keep the peasants from rising up against no, each other. No, but it's the other. opposite. You're saying like, I think it's, an, uh, it makes me feel, I have a lot of pressure to participate in this culture. I don't want to participate and I feel a lot of pressure to, and that is the only negative effect so far that you cited other than like, you know, uh, big, co- big corporations making bad deals with cities. The cities, you know, politicians who want to get reelected because they know people love the sports team, make the bad deal with the city that spends the city's money poorly, basically taking taxpayer money and and spending it on an entertainment purposes. And, you know, just the general, you know, if you I want to did, get it, I like, didn't say that corporate in that way. corporate. Well, I'm just trying to think of like, what are the negative effects of sports that you think are so that so overwhelm the things that we all agree are the positive parts? Of well, it? the the, <laughs> the problem on the face of it is like anytime we all agree that there should be a wicker man. Like, I think that's a that's a downside for the village. Like, anytime we all start agreeing on, like, tacitly, and I, ain't ta- I'm not, I mean, I'm really talking the secondarily or tertiarily about all the money stuff. I, I'm just pointing to that because I think nobody ever wants to point out that when they talk about the Dallas Cowboys, they're talking about an incor- like a, a corporation. 
right? Like if I go, like I really like Coke and I hate Pepsi and everybody who likes Pepsi is a dick. We would all look at that and go, you're very silly. That's water with sugar in it and some brown color. But like when, we, when that comes to stuff like, oh, our beautiful tradition of baseball, we look right past that. And then it's like, well, you know, why are you so defensive about these things? Well, it, you know, <laughs> this is why I'm defensive about it because like you don't understand that this is really, this is about as sophisticated as Coke and Pepsi, except with baseball bats. And, and so, but like, so at the same time though, again, I just want to under, I, I can't underscore this enough. It's like, I have very fond feelings about, I have super strong, you've heard me talk about like meeting baseball players and like things that have changed my life and felt so good. It's nothing against those personal experiences. It, it really, it's about this, any kind of pressure, whether it's in politics, whether it's in sports, whether it's in current affairs, whether it's in business reporting, I don't like it when anybody, maybe this is the anti-authoritarian streak that I don't think I have that you say I have. Is, of course is, you don't think you have it. <laughs> you think you're better than me? Because I said you have it. That's why you don't have it. Anyway, go on. That's not why I said that. <laughs> I'm not a contrarian. You're a contrarian. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You know Squarespace. God, you love Squarespace, don't you? Well, Go and learn more about Squarespace right now by pointing your internet browser to squarespace.com. Gang, I have been a huge fan and evangelist of Squarespace for over five years now. It's not only the place that I use for hosting many of my own sites and, yes, my own podcasts. It's also the very first place I recommend for anyone wanting to do the same. Squarespace sites are professionally designed masterpieces. They look great right out of the box. Regardless of your skill level, there is absolutely zero coding nerdery required. They offer intuitive, very easy-to-use tools. They take all the pain out of getting your stuff up. Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology powering your site. That ensures security and stability. Squarespace is trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Now, the nutty part? Squarespace plans start at a just astonishingly affordable $8 per month. That price even includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which you totally should do. Please check these guys out and do tell your friends about it. I don't know if Squarespace is perfect for everybody, but I'll bet it's perfect for a lot of people that you know. It's so easy to use. You do not have to become an IT weirdo. You just get your stuff up. It's beautiful. It's simple. It's secure. And it just works. You can start your free trial of Squarespace today. No credit card required by visiting squarespace.com. Now, when you decide to sign up for the service, and I know you're going to want to, you're going to want to have this for, for years and years, please use the very special offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, to get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all the great shows. Squarespace, build it beautiful. You've heard me say this, I do not like it when I go to a restaurant to have a meal and the waiter comes over and squats next to me and tells me their first name and then speaks in hushed tones about their appies. I don't like that because like, you're not my friend. And the fact that you expect me to act like I'm your friend is an affront to the idea of friendship. Not because I hate you, not because I have a strong feeling about TGI Fridays, but it makes me feel really gross to have to be the one that calls out how BS this non-existent relationship is. Why does it bug me when something, again, please somebody call, <laughs> Holden Caulfield, please pick up the white courtesy phone. Why does it bug me when somebody writes to back to work to say they want to be on the show to be interviewed as a guest, one of our frequent guests to talk about their book? That drives me crazy. Any time that somebody tries to hand me a plate of BS and act, act like it's a free sample of fries, I get mad. I don't like it when somebody tries to present something to me as like received wisdom that's a good thing for me when like, I'm like, no, I, I can't believe you're not more sympathetic to this. No, no, no. I really want to push back on all these things, all these benefits that you're giving me that really ultimately benefit you. And so like when you tell me, you being the, the person out there, 
like you're really into the 49ers you're really into the giants well that's great enjoy that but like can you just like appreciate the fact that that's not something that i enjoy and not try to make me feel like a tool because like i i haven't bought that particular stock like but but are they are they trying to are, are they either intentionally or unintentionally making you feel like a tool so when you see people like uh sparring on twitter over the sports ball like you feel like they're i don't see that but anyway go how on. can you not see that i don't think i follow very different people occasionally i see lex complaining about the eagles and casey teasing him about but anyway i understand the concept go on well yeah i mean it's it's implicit though i mean it's i don't know I don't know. It's again, it's like it's there's so many of these different kinds of things that I will never find a friend about. I will never find a friend about how I feel about Apple because I am such a weirdo about how much I can I can not like and intensely love about that company. Like there's nobody who wants to sit next to me at the lunch table about that feeling. The way I feel about like the incredibly complicated way it would take me 2 hours to explain to another grown man that like I'm not I don't hate sports. I I hate the pressure that the culture puts on me. But like, where, but where is this pressure coming from? That's what I'm getting at. Like, is I mean, I think you've got your own number with the holding Caulfield thing. Like, right. I think that's that is you know, that is an apt description. I think from from my perspective of what you're feeling it doesn't mean that it's not real. But like, like I'm wondering how it manifests in your I life. I can't believe you. Li- do you, do you really live in Boston? Is that really true? Yeah, I mean, like I like I explain, <sighs> I explain my encounters where some will will have as a conversation starter something about sports because it's just expected that of course like they won't even say did you see the game last night they'll be just like how about whatever or whatever you know like that's their that's their conversation started in the same way that the weather would be right boy how about this heat we're all in the heat right we're all in boston we also we all know what's going on there that's their opener right uh and it is maybe a little bit awkward for me to either not know what they're talking about or whatever but i've never experienced any negative (laughs) <laughs> any negative consequences from being a non-combatant yeah right? maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, a puzzled, maybe maybe i'm imagining it Could maybe be. a puzzled look once in a while um uh, but but that's about it and so like maybe like it is sometimes easier to sort of grease the wheels the social wheels for me to use whatever little knowledge i have about the events of things to make small talk conversation with the person and that maybe feeling the pressure to have to do that yeah is like that like that you know it will go easier if you do this and then you start to resent the fact that you have to sort of uh you know whatever have something along to get along what is that expression from the 70s oh uh go along to get along yeah go, you got to go along to get yeah. along and, the, and that fe- that feels like a sort of mild baseline level of oppression um oh i think but- it's 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 a heavily coded uh, indication of how you're supposed to behave and you know really i mean this could be five shows because we're talking about so many you know different kinds of things but like there is no room for me and what i care about in sports culture because because of my like <laughs> like once inert and neutral feeling about that which has now become kind of anti that because that's where i've been stuck it's like there's I don't know. I mean, it feels like almost like a certain kind of privilege to go like, well, you know, it's, you know, you could really have had any feeling you want about this. It's like, no, that's not true. If I get in a cab, somebody's going to talk to me about a sports team. They're going to say, oh, you know, they're talking about moving the, the Golden State Warriors over to San Francisco. And I go, that's the basketball one, right? And it's like, you know, why are you, why are you telling me that? Like, why are we having this? Why, why does this have to be the conversation that like is the opener for every man? Because every man is so dead inside that the only thing they feel comfortable <laughs> having some common ground inside. on is some kind of BS headline about 
either a business, some kind of business metric, or like a sports thing. It's like how many guys have you, you know, how many people have you met where you can like have a conversation without having to go through all of this ridiculous pantomime about some kind of external thing that you identify yourself with? It's so weird. Like until I know how much money you make or what sports ball team you like or which stock you buy, I'm not even sure how to have a conversation with you, which I find completely perplexing. Those, those are like three of the things I would never in a million years want to talk about with you. Like there's so many other things like, wow, what's it like to drive an Uber? That's super interesting. How many times have you been divorced? Let's talk about that. Like those kinds of things are very interesting to me. Whereas like the, the constant societal pressure, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to like be that guy, uh, but like to me, it is a kind of privilege how easy it is for everybody to make everything about these certain topics and then act like I'm the weirdo because I, I, I don't want to be involved. Yeah. On the, on the topic of like baseball preventing lynchings. I think the only thing I can say there, comma, yeah. I think the only thing I can say there is that it is my my fairly strongly held belief that these these negative instincts exist and will find like water will find some place to flow. Right. We, and, we can't we can't like fix the people and make that problem go away. It needs to sink. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and you say is sports the best sink that we could have? Is it could there be better sinks for this? I think we've seen over history. Lots of different places. <laughs> How about growing up? Growing up would yeah. be a great sink for that. Well, I mean, that's that's a lot of times when people say, "Oh, they should grow up." What they mean is the uh, the the instincts that we have at children that we learn to tamp down as adults should be eradicated, and that that process is growing up. And because I've been more well, successful at controlling these negative instincts, no, than I disagree. You have, I think I, I don't control. think that means that at all. I think I think growing growing up means accepting your vulnerabilities instead of trying to paper over them with an official jersey. I know. But what I'm saying is humanity, uh, uh, broadly speaking, has these <laughs> instincts and they have they have channeled themselves into all sorts of places that we've seen that are that are much worse than sports. Could there be something if, if in other words, if you could snap your fingers and remove organized sports and remove all memory of organized sports so no one has any sort of <sighs> attachment to it, would they not either recreate themselves oh. or like I mean it's all again you can't I wish I were better at this. I would be creaming you right now. <laughs> oh my God! This is so weak. What, what I'm what I'm saying is like this is this is a, this is a premise of my argument, not a you know what I mean. My premise is so. What's the what are the second and third best sinks after sports for getting people to not commit violence against people who they think are different from them? Well, I mean, war war is a pretty good one. <laughs> that is the traditional one where yeah, where eventually right. the, you know the, the people over there. I mean, you've got it already. Like I don't. I wouldn't uh, consider they, that an amelioration. I would consider that a like a a, a last ditch. Outcome. Well, but but it's a thing that happened. You know, the the Mexicans coming across the borders. How many of the people in Texas would go to war with Mexico? Why? Because they're different, and there's an imaginary line there, and they're not. People but like, why, you know, like, I was gonna, I was about to utter the phrase, "Why not theater?" Question mark. And I'm really glad I didn't say that. Yeah, um, I mean that stories, telling stories about things, especially with like fiction, to say that there are. This is you why know, I think pro wrestling's evil. perfect. Pro wrestling is. I don't know if you watched pro wrestling lately. I thought you got to watch that video. Essentially, you will like it. I, I, that video explained to me uh, better than any other thing that I've seen. All right. The attraction people have to pro wrestling. I think I understand it. And yeah, speaking of theater and sports, you know that's the, that that is also an outlet. Um, uh, nationalism, jingoism. Is another outlet that I think is probably nah, worse than sports, nah, right? Nah. Yeah, and that's, that's, so, that's so extreme. Have you ever seen Mankind and uh, Mankind and um, The Undertaker, Hell in a Cell, nineteen ninety nine? You ever seen that? I have not. Okay, so here's the thing. I I will commit to you. I know it's late there and you got a job, but I, I'm going to go home and uh, and I'm going to go watch Fight Club. I'm going to send you a video of of Hell in a Cell, nineteen ninety nine, and I, and I want you to 
to tell me that that is not a better thing than baseball. I'm just telling you. But but you, when you say better though, it has to fulfill the same role. It has to be as appealing to to the broadest to, to the broadest range of people. You know, it's a fantasy. You 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 are totally bought into the fact. Like when you go to Disney World and you put Mickey Mouse ears on, do you think you're actually wearing the literal ears of a dead mouse? No. You realize that you're participating in a brand and you're having a fun thing. And going screw it. I'm going to spend $320 today on plastic. Like, that's a fun thing I'm going to do. Like, I am not persuaded that the people who are, like, balls deep in sports have that kind of distance from it. And maybe this is more of the Fight Club problem. Right, but so those people would have a similar problem maintaining that same distance from wherever else these things channeled themselves. You know what I mean? I mean, you see it even hmm. in politics. It, like, this, this, this instinct is everywhere. Right, if, if you, we'll just call it tribalism. If you don't mm-hmm. want to call it xenophobia, okay. like whatever it is, like the, or like just the neighbor, and the neighbor has a red light on their house. I mean, like this this, this instinct is everywhere, <laughs> right? Like, I just it is not right. It is not isolated. Getting into Freud, and uh, do you want to say it or shall I? The narcissism of minor differences. Oh, uh, the yeah, no, well, no, but but that's we're looking that's, for the ways it. we're different from other people. Right, but that is it. That is it. Writ small, but like I'm saying, you this is there. It needs some place to go. Of all the places that it can go, almost everyone I can think of is worse than organized sports, net net, right? And so you're saying like, well, if you took away organized sports, how can you say things would be worse? I think they would just reestablish themselves. I think if you removed it, they would, and again, you can't, you know, prove a negative. This is, what I'm getting back to is my premise. My premise is that this is there. If you don't believe this is there, uh, if you don't believe in this whole sort of evolutionary uh, psychology BS explanation for how we are the way we are, then you're not going to buy any of my other arguments uh, in favor of sports. Um, and it also, I think it depends on how you weigh the positives and negatives in sports in general. But I believe this is there, and I believe that having this outlet for it uh, is much better than uh, all of the previous outlets before commercial organized sports exists, which all is right. basically I'll, like... I'm going to think all. on it. I mean, just what, what you have to think of is like, you, it's, when you say, wouldn't theater be better, you are inching dangerously close to the... Uh, libertarian mistake of everything would everything would be better if people were different. Oh my god! You know what I mean? Ugh. Like what? What if people could only get the same uh, catharsis and enjoyment and multi generational, mm-hmm. uh, you know, camaraderie from theater that they can from sports? Then things would be better. And libertarianism, same thing. If only people oh could, then you know what I mean. I, I can't believe I can't believe this is you. That is so flimsy. It it is it's small. It's a small version of, it, but it's a similar oh, phenomenon. I, anyway, I, I <laughs> the problem is that the the things you own start to own you. Really, oh, really, no, no. Shh, I, I, I think really think about it. I think really you're think making that argument with the whole branded. Am I? <laughs> it's a corporation. Yeah. Am I? You are. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, you got to watch this Hell in a Cell in 1998. It's absolutely uh, mind blowing. I, I will look at it. No, you're gonna you're gonna I've watch it like a gentleman. It, you're gonna uh, sit down. You're gonna look at your big, freaking plasma TV, and you're gonna watch it. It's gonna be great. And and I'm going I'm going to convince that this would be better if I could swap sports for this. You know what? That's I don't even care if it's better. I'm saying if you can sit around and wax poetic about freaking Michael Jordan, if you cannot appreciate what Mick Foley, aka Mankind, does to his body in this video. We need to have. Oh a... no! I, like I said, that wrestling. Are you familiar with Mick Foley? Are you, are you familiar with Mick Foley at all? From the, from the video, I think he was mentioned many times. Okay. But yes, like I, I no, I, I appreciate all of these things. I'm the appreciator. You are the naysayer. Oh, that is so not true. Oh boy, bad rap. Bad, bad rap. Bad rap. 
<laughs> well, oh my god, I cannot wait for next week. I'm so angry right you now. You have to find something where I where you I you have am, to find something where where my opinion is contrary to the masses, and then we can explore. That. I'm just glad we're to supposed have, to be reconciling these. You know, I'm just glad to have finally found something where like I could almost win an argument with you. Just to, to, no, 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 no. You're, you're you're a super smart guy, but like, wow. You know what? How about this? How about this? My family is going to come to uh, New England. This probably won't work out, but my family will be coming to New England this summer, and we'll have a house there. So, you know, who knows? Maybe we could uh, go take in a game, our two families. But I never, go, I don't go to sporting events. Oh my god, I'm so angry right now. I'm literally, I'm literally just tennis. so angry right now. I don't like. I don't like. <sighs> you know, I've gone to a couple of Red Sox games because other people want to go. I do it because it's you know. Like, it's just a fun thing to do. And I don't have any resentment when I'm doing it. I feel like I'm no. pressured into doing this thing. If I don't want to go, I don't go. If I do, I do. But I'm able to enjoy myself in those type of things. The, the, the few sporting events that I like to go to, tennis matches, professional tennis matches, I'm going there entirely for my, you know, because I'm... <laughs> do you wear I, your outfit when you go? You get your shoes and your, and your togs? To, I don't wear my tennis clothes, but because it's outdoors and in the sun and usually hot, you do tend to wear shorts and a t-shirt. Right, so you, you can pass. You don't, get, you don't get clocked as a tennis fan, but you can pass. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Have I ever worn my tennis outfit? I might. Like, I don't know. It's like why are you why are you wearing a baseball hat when you're at a baseball game? You're not. You don't need to shield shield your because eyes from the sun to the catch the pop fly. The machine, it's grinding us. We must throw ourselves upon the gears. I got military school. I got anime. We got the world of music, uh, sports culture. We've covered uh, consistency reviews, and we'll talk about scary movies and why you don't watch them. You've skipped over a whole bunch of stuff there. You still have uh, music, drugs, video games. I can't do it all. Oh, I would so talk about drugs. I would so talk about drugs. Then that that's will be the one where I'm on the opposite side of everyone else on the planet. I'm not on the opposite. You are pretty much on the opposite side oh of everyone else. Oh my god, I'm so not. You are. That's I, I, all I, hate part world, of your point. I hate a world where like I'm neutral about something and that makes me the opposite of things. But you're not neutral. You're saying I am sports neutral. Are, I am sports neutral. are a net negative. That's not neutral. Is that an incorrect characterization? I'm not going to say. I'm just... <laughs> mm. uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad that you are uh, fleshing out this because normally... Uh, I'm glad you're flailing. It's, 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 very, it's very inspiring. Normally what I hear in podcasts is, a, is the sort of uh, the jokes and the jabs, but it's like, but what's underneath that? And now I think we see the shape of, of your position. Oh, we we see the shape. I see a shape just fine. We might be yeah, I know. Here. I'm sure this has always been inside you, but now it's coming out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you know, it's also hard because, you know, um, anytime, uh, kidding aside, like, it's always hard to know, like, how much you want to, to li- literally use this phrase, how much you want to take as read in the true sense of the word, right? Like, like, do we need to, at some point, like, to get to anything very interesting, I think you have to walk through all the stuff we've previously taken as read, right? Oh, yeah, no, re- revisiting the premises, like, that's... That, that's the most interesting stuff is when you go back to, like, well, let's go back to first principles, Clarice. Like, let's go back way further than, like, this argument we've been having in this same way. Let's, uh, what do we say, pop the stack. Let's go up a couple levels here and, like, and talk about something, you know, more yeah, interesting. Because that's usually what the disagreement is about. And, again, a oh, point it's that is also 100% the reason. Is that, yeah. is that you, people will engage in an argument and be, and be, like, seven hours deep in it before realizing that the real problem is they disagree on the premises and it will take a long time to get back to them. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel – here's the thing about that. Even though you characterize yourself as uh, – as neutral on something, mm-hmm. I care far less about organized sports than you do in terms of like, uh, you know, oh, I care way less. I care so it, much it, less. 
But but you don't. You're angry about it. I'm yes. not angry about it. All right. Like indifference. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm indifferent towards most of it. Right. <sighs> so you and, say. And, uh, and I and I enjoy. I'm I mean, I'm mostly just taking the opposite position. I'm taking the the mask. That's what this is for. That we're, we're we're you know we're we're working these things out. I right. Mean, right. I mean, but we, maybe on a, on a future show we should go to is the other aspect of this is what participation actual you participating in sports has meant to your life. Totally separate from organization, unless it comes in with like you know how did you feel to be coached on a team? Yeah, no, no, I think that's interesting. Well, I would take which I think is totally separate from this issue about about you know tribalism and cultural pressure. And uh, you know, I mean, you have to, and I would take it even way broader than that. Is like I think we both would probably have interesting notes on is like you know again, let's take the the emotion and the sports out of it. Like like how has your experience been? In I'm I don't know. I'm I'm very interested in this with you and me. Is like uh. How did it work out when you had to go do stuff with other people? Like something even that simple, like me in drum and bugle corps, me in accordion lessons, me in swimming class, like my daughter at track camp today. Like all of those things are super interesting to me because like all the stuff you get to sit in your room and like play can computer chess about become completely different. Like today for the first time, my after track camp, my daughter's um, one of my daughter's best friends came over. I set him up on two iPads so they could both play Minecraft together, you know, like share a little thing. And it was amazing to watch. Like the, the and the interactions where they're yelling at the iPad, I'm over here, Eleanor. Like it's, it was totally hilarious. When you bring in other people, like everything changes. Sports. Team sports versus individual sports. Got Another it. Aspect. I saw it. I see your cursor. Yeah. I don't know if we've reconciled anything here. Yes. But we've definitely, we've explored our bodies ourselves, alternate title of the podcast. (laughs) 